Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. to another exciting installment of the fifth column podcast uh, this is your almost weekly loosely scripted uh, actually it's never scripted? scripted there is no net can i look there's at your... no net i'm camille foster can i'm I actually look at looking your... at the reason website oh, that. that's the reason website all right i have a bunch of other things open as well i'm camille foster <laughs> i do things at freefig delighted to be with you a little bit derailed there a little bit derailed there matt that's a different browser. Stern. Browse in private. Do, 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 you, guys wanna, do you guys want to start this again? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> almost a little bit. The... I think you might want to start it again. I'm talking to Matt Welch, editor at Large Reason Magazine. That's Michael Moynihan telling me what to do. Whitesplaining um, at Vice yeah. News. Wonderful to be with both of you gentlemen, as per usual. And also, as per usual, is our very good friend, Anthony Fisher of Insider, who has some new this? title that I'm I... drumming now. <laughs> Stop it. You're so annoying tonight. <laughs> Fisher, what is your new title at Insider? I'm a politics columnist at Insider. So this is this is a promotion of sorts. Yeah, it's a promotion because you're, you're the politics editor. Are you at an Insider editor at before? large? <laughs> we don't, we don't do you editor at large because it's such an welched? insulting title. But, um, <laughs> it's a similar uh, similar responsibilities. Yeah. I'll be doing I'll be doing columns. I got a column coming out on Saturday where I take the piss out of Mike Bloomberg's uh, mm. uh, stop and frisk apology. Check out the, the business inside of nice. com for that. Huh. Be doing a lot of events, be doing some stuff from the road, some investigative stuff with our investigative team. And mm-hmm. that's See, this all is better. The columnist, uh, this is better. You can come down and like, talk about I got a column and you can read it. It's better. I like that. I like that better, right? That's good. Because I want to read the Bloomberg thing now. I think it's good. Otherwise, yeah. I really had no interest in talking to Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> now, so I'm loud, very, loud, very interested. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, all I'm right. delighted to be with you, gentlemen. <laughs> I've, I've, had a, I've had a bit of a rough week myself. It's been and challenging. My dog is not doing very well. Oh. Knox uh, had a small wound on his tail, small cut. And as you know, with very happy dogs, they wag their tail and then blood splatters all over your walls. Oh my God. Bandaging it is also hard because his tail is so fucking long and the bandage would frequently come off. Also, when he wears those cone things, he would routinely find a way to get the bandages off of his tail, sometimes eating the bandage. So what Knox did for me this week, the great gift he gave me was he was already scheduled to have a portion of his tail amputated Ah! on tomorrow. But instead, this dog, the gift that keeps on giving, had to go into emergency surgery yesterday. Um, So two days before the Friday scheduled surgery to have a bandage removed from his lower intestine, which he had consumed. Also had a portion of his tail amputated. Grand total cost for all of this wonderfulness is close to ten thousand dollars. No, it's not. So when so ten thousand dollars, I thought the free market and no like one asked me, do you want to euthanize him? <laughs> yeah. For your wallet's in sake. In fairness, I've been asking you that for like four years. <laughs> it's now. true. What he was a puppy. No, no, no. Which he's, I say he's, he's mad. He's, that's wrong. He's talking about the dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, this I want oh. everyone to know. Is what the the Patreon goes to the studio uh, and to your various sick animals. Yeah, you know you don't need to ask them to euthanize uh, your dog. I mean, there are rocks outside. <laughs> They're big and heavy. Have you seen Knox? Yeah, yeah, there's still big rocks big, out there. You need some Knox is a beautiful dog, but I am I am looking to rehome him for the low low price of fifty thousand dollars. You can right. buy Camille Foster's rehome. Dog. What yeah. is that? I've never even heard that. Is that like where I'm actually just selling his ass? That is what I'm doing right now. Are you serious? 
actively. You yeah, fifty thousand dollars. Sell them to the guy who lives in your old apartment, or just cover the cost of his surgery. Because, jeez, I can't afford yeah. to do this again. Re just, rehome yeah. is like rehome is like deplane. It's like <laughs> it's become a word. It's not like a real word. It's a thing. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know it's a thing. thing. It's a thing that you never mention as a dog owner. You're not allowed to want to rehome your dog. Re-home. Although I suspect that 90% of dog owners kind of want to rehome their dog. And this may be the, the episode where we lose all of the dog lovers and they don't tune in. Anymore. Do you know, Joanna actually told me that I thought that was a myth and uh, her Swedish parents, um, this is my lovely ex, um, uh, said <laughs> when they had a dog named Noddy, um, they're Swedes, but they grew, they, she grew up in Ireland, uh, some tax scam that he was in Ireland for. <laughs> actually true. Um, and uh, so they had a dog uh, named Naughty. And, uh, As in uh, the opposite of nice? No, I think it's a naughty holder from, oh, okay. uh, <laughs> if you know, if you get the naughty holder reference, I'll, 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 I'll give you a free Patreon subscription. <laughs> I'll pay for it. For you. Um, uh, and actually said to her, it went to a farm. You know, and they, that's the old the, the old saw, the old yeah, myth yeah. that like when the, the oh, dog, yeah. oh, no, 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 this dog's fine. Just went to live at a farm. Yeah. And then she, I, I, I just realized now I'd never thought of this, Uh-oh. that they lived in Ireland, <laughs> which is like not in Dublin. It's like everything's a farm. Everything's like, oh, they went up their fucking farm, actually. Oh, yes, lovely up there. And I, actually, her parents are Swedish, <laughs> so they wouldn't have said that at all. But yeah, so that was that actually that actually happened. And I think they just killed it. Oh. So there you go. Yeah. That was my heartwarming no, uh, my, Christmas uh, so time story. My daughter has been asking about Knox since he left the house for the doctor. All she does is, where's Knox? Is Knox coming home? Really? Knox is sick. I want to help Knox. Which, oh. Does she ask about Michael? No. No, she never asks about Uncle Moynihan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uncle yeah. Hollywood? Yeah. yeah. It never happens. But Uncle Harry was? <laughs> yeah. No, he's fine. He's all right. Daughter Asian? No. What? That's not. I was just trying to do a little, a little cute voice. What the fuck is that? I was a cute voice. I thought it was a cute oh, voice. Oh, God. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. But you're, you're starting off strong. Um, Sorry. Yeah, uh, uh, I, yeah, my daughter. We have a dog, and it's getting up there, and yeah. I, it's time to prepare yeah. her because she like loves the dog. Yeah. And she started an Instagram account for the dog. It's so cute. Did oh, she? No. Really? Yeah, no, no, it makes me so sad because she's like, <laughs> she like texts me from her mom's phone, and she's like, "Papa, can you like the picture?" And I'm like, "That's like me." It's so sad, and she's like excited, but she wants like, "How do I get more likes and stuff?" I'm like, first of all, I don't want that going through your head when you're like eight years old of like, "How do I get?" I'm like, "There's people in Indonesia you give them, like twenty five bucks to like it." <laughs> pretty easy and game the system yeah and like yeah she's so it's like me and um a friend of ours in ireland and like um and like one other person uh, who you know who uh who, who likes she usually gets about three likes on a yeah. photo of the dog jonathan Haidt thinks that you've ruined your child's entire life by exposing her to it's instagram kind of true yeah D- like me in particular yeah i mean he's well, in, you in that in that ted talk <laughs> that he was doing. oh uh, no that uh, oh that ted talk when he's like why moynihan sucks it was going there <laughs> yeah. it's like, it a bad seo headline i don't know like, still got like, like two million views yeah it was like really hateful stuff <laughs> no his thing now is is uh that the dangers of social media how it's that destroying our society especially uh tween and teenage girls yeah yeah well you know that of course instagram it's funny because like in politics facebook's blamed for everything and in like teen problems and like self-esteem and body image, it's all Instagram, right? And TikTok. Uh, yeah, which is like a thing I don't know anything about. Which the oh, Chinese boy. are using to corrupt the generation. I, there's it, it, like, it's great because all these conspiracy theories about, about what social media is doing. And, you know, um, uh, Instagram 
who a friend of mine actually went to high school with the guy. In, he he went to high school in my hometown. Uh, the guy who uh, started Instagram, and uh, that he's he like is they're taking away likes on certain uh, things on certain like influencers because they're doing all this crazy stuff to get likes, and like so they're t- they're like de incentivizing them by taking away likes. I've heard this is happening. I haven't seen it yet, but because I, I guess I don't follow any of those any of those people. But the greatest thing is that if you look, and I I was going to write a piece about this like a long time ago. Uh, like four or five years ago is that there's people the random people you've never heard of them and they're not even like big in the sense of like you're too old to know they're just super weird and niche and then these people and they have like 200,000 followers and just random people and I don't get it and so I get into I, I sometimes go down these rabbit holes and try to figure out what's interesting about them and I come up empty every time this is the first time really that I have felt that okay boomer works for Moynihan oh yeah 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 no for Instagram for me I just I just post like I always find something always reminds me of some dumb thing that I shot and I every time I'm reminded I'm always mad about what <laughs> what actually was released that's what you yeah put the patreon for right well yeah well I can't really do that on patreon but I do it on Instagram and I posted like recently um, some clips of um, uh, who's the guy, the Hollywood medium, Tyler, uh, Tyler Henry. Mm. He's the E E uh, show. He has this thing called the Hollywood medium. He's a medium. Yeah. And I did a story on him and um, it just, you know, I I just wished it was more about him being a fraud. And so I just, I found some of the footage and um, I I, I put some of it up on Instagram. It's just me. He's a child. He he looks like a Macaulay Culkin in person, doesn't he? He's like a little, like a little doll. And, um, and yeah, it was really weird. And I mentioned it in the, in the comment um, or in the text is that, uh, he left after we finished the interview. We left. We left here. It was in uh, Las Vegas. No, it was in uh, Minnesota. And we drove to the airport, and uh, we got a call. Producer got a call from his PR company saying, like, you know, Tyler's crying. His mother is crying. His mother was there. Everybody's crying, and I'm like, what? Like, what? I like, we if we had any idea that you were going to do this kind of interview, we never would have agreed. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, what did you think? You think we're gonna do a thing? Like, show me how ghosts are real. I mean, what are you talking about? Did you spirits? Did, did you, you fucking Google me? You idiot! <laughs> literally did a cover story for a newsweek called "The Bullshit Police" about James Randi, <laughs> and it's like about Randi and like like this guy. Like, he's Randi makes fun of these guys all the time, and it's like you should have just done a little googling. But they were like really upset by it. Um, but in the piece, it was just too short, and we didn't have all the stuff. So I posted that on on um, on Instagram. That's what I use it for. Of like. Uh, just posting stupid clips that I find on my hard drive. Mm. So some of them are fun, though. You called him a grief vampire. Yeah, yeah, he is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's not my coinage. That's um, that's uh, the guys like in the skeptics world, like the James Randi world. And I, if there's anybody, I, I, lo- I can't think of anyone I love more than James Randi, who's mm. so fun and so funny. Is that kind of like your ticket into libertarianism or just the anti-comedy door? I mean, kind of that and kind of like, because a lot of, that used to be like a, a big um, atheist uh, universe. Yeah. Penn Jillette is very uh, yeah. uh, uh, motivated by the amazing, they have a conference every year. I don't, they, they uh, still do it's it. It's called the amazing, TAM. Yeah. The Amazing Conference. Yeah, it's called, yeah. It's, they yeah, still do that? Yeah, it's, it's TAM. It's called The Amazing Meeting. Right, and they sorry. do it and they have have they do the million dollar challenge 
and the million dollar challenge is fantastic. And Randy has said like, you know, if you're, if you're psychic, if you have supernatural abilities, prove it, we'll give you a million dollars. And the great thing that Randy always points out is they actually have the money. It's in a bank in New York and it's been there. And there was a very rich donor who loves Randy and put up the money like, like 25 years ago. And it's probably got a lot of interest and people come. And the funny thing is, is that they come and they, you know, they do it in this falsifiable ways, all this sort of scientific way. And you know that the people who are coming must believe themselves that they can sort of trick them or, or that they actually have these powers. And when I was there, when I wrote a piece about it, there was a guy doing distance reading. You know, like mm. I can put it in an envelope and like write your thing down and I can tell you what's in the envelope. I can read what's in it. from. And they had a guy, I think it was in Egypt or something. And of course he failed <laughs> and they fail every time. But it's great because they the the people on the other side of Randy um, hate him. And this guy hated him too. And they hate him with such a passion. Because um, Randy 25, 35 years ago, debunked this guy, Yuri Geller. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Who said he could bend, bend spoons with his mind. He was a spoon bender. Yeah. Yeah. Is he not on Johnny Carson show? Yeah. Yeah. And the great thing about that is Johnny Carson was himself a magician. He was like an amateur magician. And like this, and that's why I loved Randy so much. Randy used to come on all the time. And so what they did is realizing what, you know, how this stuff was done. And, you know, he talked to Carson about it is that they brought out a, um, a kind of rolling cart with all of the forks and spoons and all this stuff. And they said to the, the staff, I said, make sure that nobody gets close to these because th- that's what happens. They get close to them. And so they, they switched them out and they brought them out. And there's the greatest thing ever. And you can find this on YouTube and he can't do it. So he's like sitting there and he's like, you know, and he's got this like Israeli accent. He's like, you know, I can't, it's too much, uh, you know, too much bad energy in the room. You know, they do all this stuff and it goes to commercial. Cause you know, and Carson used to go, these like, like cards would go and it's like, we'll be back. And it's, and it comes back and it's the greatest thing ever. It comes back and Johnny Carson's leaned over the desk smoking <laughs> and he's like, you're going to do it. What's uh, going on here? And like, he's ridiculing him and he's like, oh, just bad night, I guess. And it's re- and, and that was the first time that he really failed. And they became, he became like his nemesis. And there was like lawsuits. And they it's a still, tremendous story. They still do like takedown uh, <laughs> attempts on YouTube constantly. Like they yeah. don't want anyone to see this YouTube footage oh, yeah. from 40 years ago. Oh, yeah. And, 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 and there was a time in a, I think it was a German magazine that um, Yuri Geller admitted that he was an entertainer and not a psychic. And there was some moment where he admitted it. But Randy has done amazing work. And there's a fantastic documentary about it uh, called An Honest Liar. And Randy's idea about this is he gets on stage and he's going to trick you, but he's going to tell you. And the people who don't tell you are the evil ones. Which that is they the say they're, Teller yeah, gimmick too. Yeah. Precisely. And they're, mm-hmm. they're all from the, from the same cloth. And Penn loves Randy and is obsessed with Randy. And, uh, and you know, this other person that was in the piece that I did was a guy named Banachek, who's this kind of half British, has a weird accent, um, who is very much like Randy and he's, he's a mentalist. And uh, I went on stage during one of his shows and the stuff he did was, I mean, mind blowing. And I understand how people believe it, but he, t- he does the same thing. This is not real. I'm tricking you. And then he goes out and does it. And it's really impressive. Someone actually offered me tickets to Darren Brown tonight in New York. Do you know that guy? 
He's like a British guy. He's, a, he's the same thing, a mentalist. He says, I'm lying to you. And he's just really impressive. So my question huh. is, is all of this an extended metaphor for the British elections uh, from tonight? Uh, yes, uh, which has been quite impressive. Somebody wrote us and said, Moynihan's being a little too, uh, not optimistic, but a little too bullish on the Tories. This, this is because you said that it was not going to be close. Well, I didn't say it was not going to be close. I said they were going to walk away with it, but it's, I don't remember exactly what I what said. But it's, what do we have? So we're uh, taping this right now. Exit, we have exit 8 o'clock <clears throat> Eastern time on Thursday. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So we have, at the moment, I mean, everyone will know by the time this is released um, that of the um, 650 seats that'll, and, and, and constituencies tonight, um, I think two, you know, like 11 have declared so far. And but the exit polls have a pretty smashing uh, victory for for the conservatives. And it's so bad, by the way, that there's um, been a lot of speculation with exit polls that even Tony Blair's constituency, like a heavily labor seat, is going to go conservative and other places, you know, um, that are, you know, like places that miners, you know, under Thatcher lost a lot of mining jobs that were solidly labor for years will be going um, conservative. So from two, too. from two hours ago, we had the majority um, was 326 seats that's required. Yeah, that's and, what you need to, to have a majority. Yeah. And uh, according to the exit poll, which can not necessarily be perfectly accurate. Was it 368? 368 for conservatives, 191 for labor. I um, mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an astonishing defeat for them. It's a wipeout. It's a wipeout. And keep in mind in this that there was – UKIP is no longer – uh, running candidates, and instead it became the Brexit Party, and it was still run by Nigel Farage. And Nigel Farage, um, yeah, everyone's talking about doing tactical voting. That's like you know, Hugh Grant was like, "Go do tactical voting." They're all Labour supporters. Um, the real tactical voting thing that happened was not an individual thing, but it was um, it was Nigel Farage s- saying, "We're withdrawing all our candidates." So, they, they, so on the exit polls, Brexit Party has zero because they withdrew their candidates. I think 320 odd candidates, they, 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 they pulled back and that was an incredible boon to, to the conservatives. And, you know, Boris Johnson's going to walk away with this and it tells you something, they'll get Brexit done. And that's the mandate. Now we have a bigger, fresher mandate. We, uh, we, as people who care about not having Jeremy Corbyn be the <laughs> prime minister <laughs> of anything, except for maybe the Gaza strip. Now listen, I want to, um, I want to get this with you and we kind of, uh, Texted a little bit about this or, or group chatted. Um, so Daniel Hannum was in the Reason office. There's an interview with him with Nick Gillespie last week mm-hmm. in which he basically said uh, Corbyn is would have taken England to Venezuela. I don't think that's true, but I, I mean, that's hyperbolic, but I don't know. Well, and, here's, and, here's and the thing. I'm curious from your point the, of view. The reason that I wouldn't like laugh and cause people said that this kind of thing about Obama. Right. And they're like, you know, carrying pictures of him as Lenin and all this stuff. And it was just ridiculous and Maoists and this, anti-colonialist. Um, yeah. And all that D'Souza nonsense. But uh, the reason that you can't laugh at this was <laughs> because Corbyn was a fan of Hugo Chavez. He celebrated Hugo Chavez upon his death. He's been a, a ardent supporter of the Bolivarian Revolution. And it's not as if, you know, Bernie Sanders, who's always trying to declare himself a democratic socialist and, you know, em- emphasizing the democracy over the socialism. He doesn't care very much. You know, yeah, so can you draw a contrast between those two guys in particular? The, a, 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 a type of fanaticism that 
that has been kind of part of the Labor Party. So there's been these kind of splits in the Labor Party. There's a, a small part of the Labor Party now that is, that is overjoyed. This is a very anti-Corbynista part of the Labor Party, and they're, they're celebrating at the moment because uh, he can't, uh, he definitely can't withstand this. And, you know, John McDonald, his, his sort of number two, who's blaming Brexit for, for the bad result, who's also completely psychotic, um, you know, IRA supporter, as was uh, Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, Corbyn didn't, had never met in the 80s and in the Cold War, some nasty little dictatorship that he, he wouldn't find some kind word for. Um, you know, and, and there was a lot of resentment of um, particularly when, I mean, the Falklands was a little more common that people opposed the Falklands War, but being very much inviting, you know, representatives from the IRA to parliaments, things like that, after the Brighton bombing, which almost killed um, uh, Thatcher and gravely wounded a number of and killed other uh, members of uh, Norman Tebbit in, in her cabinet. His wife was permanently disfigured and put into a wheelchair because of this IRA bomb. And then right after that, Corbyn's you know, mixing it up and having backslapping things with the IRA. So people didn't really forget that. That was a bad thing. I mean, in this election, it was most of the anti-Semitism thing. But I think of the anti-Semitism thing is that the expectation that it's somebody who's like comes out and says protocols of the elders of Zion. But it's, it's not. It's more that like Jeremy Corbyn would fill in for people on press TV on the Iranian state television channel and, 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 and was frequently a guest. And you can find a lot of Corbin uh, press TV stuff. And this is a website and a, and a network that routinely had, you know, just the most base, like Holocaust denial. Press anti- TV is Iranian state television. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. So it's like, it's I just, think I did like two spots with them before I realized that. Yeah. Yeah. And they offered me too. And they offered to pay me and I, I didn't take the money. Um, and oh, they, I, 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 you, oh, did you? Yeah, I, yeah. I flew first class. Yeah. <laughs> Where to Tehran? <laughs> Do your hit in Tehran. But yeah, no, he's that kind of guy. And, no and there was, there's a, there's a huge kind of, um, infrastructure of the labor party, particularly in the 1980s that had the, there was a thing called militant tendency. There was like a very left-wing part of the, of the party, which was, was, you know, they weren't like a splinter party. They were just a, a part of the party, but he used to write for the morning star, which is the, was the, um, uh, the actual communist party of great Britain's newspaper, which still publishes by the way, still a daily uh, paper. And so good, good name. Yeah. The morning star is good. And, but it was, it was so there was that fanaticism that you saw in not guys like Tony Ben were like kind of calm compared to him, but in guys like Arthur Scargill, who is the head of the, the miners union, who was like, you know, my own is effectively a Stalinist in somebody who was, who is going with his tin cup to, to get funding from the Libyans after, you know, there were, a you know police officer a british police officer a female police officer killed uh in front of the libyan embassy in a in a an attack in the uh, by agents of the libyan state and lockerbie and all this stuff lockerbie was after but these are people that were were were, i mean corbin wasn't doing this but guys like scargill this was it was a real nasty little part of the party and you can find corbin like you know laying wreaths on the. i mean this is a fame this was a big one laying the wreath on the grave of one of the black september terrorists um, or a, it was, it was, a, was it a grave Anthony or was it like a memorial for, but it was like, and they denied it and blah, blah, blah. I believe it was like an anniversary. It was an anniversary. Uh, Black September. Uh, it was the, uh, the Palestinian <laughs> Munich terrorists of the Munich. Yeah, uh, they were, they were, it was the PLO <laughs> and it was, it was Arafat's Jesus group, but they, they, they renamed themselves to kind of give them a little cover Black September. And they were the ones that, that, uh, kidnapped and murdered. Uh, they kidnapped and were killed in the helicopter, ki- murdered Israeli athletes in the 72, 72 uh, um, Olympics um, in Munich. 
which was an amazingly difficult thing for the Germans, obviously. So he laid the wreath at a memorial event in Tunisia in 2014. Yes. And that was in one, and there was some connection to Black September in that, like, and this is just the kind of stuff that, that he would do. I mean, he called Hamas and Hezbollah, my friends, our friends. And, you know, th- like, this is a guy who is either the worst politician, so tone deaf or admirably honest about his disgusting views. But a question. Um, so you've talked exclusively almost about foreign policy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so, but is that his selling point domestically in England or is it that he is, uh, a democratic socialist and they want more of that. No, he's a socialist. He's not a democrat. I don't think there's any dumb thing democratic about Jeremy Corbyn. You don't, if you're a democratic socialist, you don't, you don't befriend people who aren't Democrats. It's kind of a bad for the brand, but uh, yeah, no, he's, I mean, as far as the sort of, like what why you are people voting for him and why were, why were people excited? Was it, was it foreign policy or was No, it? I don't think okay. it was. I think there's a lot of Brexit. I mean, Jeremy, Jeremy Corbyn is a part of that. But wing like of Labour. Brexit thing was yeah, weird. Exactly. I mean, he's, I mean, they, they had a very hard time, being Remainers, because a lot of those guys on the hard left wouldn't really be honest about the fact that they were Brexiteers and they hated the European Union for different reasons. I mean, the socialists were the first, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like back in the day. Of, yeah. Of, or labor was the first of being anti. But there's a letter today. You, you can Google this um, that uh, 200 people signed um, around the world um, supporting Jeremy Corbyn. It gives you a sense of who's core constituents. Because AOC. It, <laughs> um, no, he had a phone conversation with AOC, though. Yeah, she, um, and, uh, yeah. Boris no, th- Johnson must have been super pissed that <laughs> didn't get that endorsement. Yeah, exactly. The AOC, the, the AOC does a, a vital endorsement. But it was, you know, it's like all of these, um, far left parties, like Die Linke in Germany, which is, um, the sort of party that SED became, which is the East German Communist Party. And they like they signed this letter supporting Jeremy Corbyn today. I mean, that's like, do you want that kind of support? But so I've, I've, I'm sorry. I'm, yeah, but it I'm, is it, economic. You no, the economic here. policy is is um, uh, is essentially uh, Sanders on steroids. I mean, they're like so a big controversy always. Labor was allowing allowing quote unquote the the sort of denationalization of industries right yeah so uh you know obviously the closing of the the pits uh, in the 1980s which uh, thatcher did was a big rallying point which is hilarious now the left in the 80s was desperately trying to get coal to still be produced in in england um thatcher apparently a mistakenly proto-environmentalist who's somebody who actually believed um openly and said it very early in global warming um but that's not why she was doing it obviously uh but you know like the railway when the railway was privatized that's like a big like old left labor rallying cry that this is like we have we have become this kind of free market hellhole so what was he calling for well on economically the, like yeah i mean it's exactly national it's like it, there was the, the the actual party manifesto was a fairly thin one and there might have been a nationalization thing in it but the as far as economics was concerned everything was funneled not everything but if you look at most of the main stories if you look at the stuff that's on sky news like a you know, sort of mainstream kind of news all the economic stuff is funneled through brexit because brexit was the achilles heel supposedly of the tories because they couldn't get it done right so you know uh, theresa may couldn't get it done you know boris johnson had two failures and then you know, this is the election. And part of the reason why they couldn't get it done is they didn't have a majority in parliament. Right? Well, yeah. And there's people or in their like own. Well, well, there's also I mean, there's the Brexit hardliners in the own party that didn't want to, you know, you know, wanted Jean-Claude Juncker and these guys in the European Union. But we, to completely we've, had, down. Yeah. we've had like a 52-48 situation yeah. there forever. Yeah, yeah, sure. And tonight we don't. No, 
No, we have an we have an outright majority, um, and it, we'll see how it goes because who knows what these exit, poll, exit polls are like. I mean, the the number of people actually reporting as we're rec- re- recording this, there's nine constituencies reporting for Labour and two for the Conservatives. But you know, it's that's going to flip in a, in a pretty dramatic way. And we've seen that Labour so far has not come out and said you know, we're bullish on this. These exit polls are, they've been very, very quiet so far. And that's been a theme on the sort of BBC, like the radio four coverage is like, it's hard. It, it, basically what's going to happen. The interesting thing about this is what's going to happen to the labor party. I've, uh, Cause I've, it changed so much with Corbin. I've it been asking about facts and, uh, but, uh, I, I want to close with this interrogation by, um, asking about a broad thing. What does it mean preliminarily? Do you think, like, is there a big takeaway either about Brexit or yeah. or like sort of uh, anti, you know, integrationalist structures yeah. or of like uh, approach towards you went too far left. That's not going to work. I think all of those are true. And but taking them one at a time, I would say that the Brexit thing, you know, it's obviously close. And there's all these polls that say, oh, if we could vote again, they would vote against it, et cetera. And I think both of these results probably suggest that people are very tired of three plus years of nothing getting done in this limbo, which is making everybody nervous. And we're, you know, on the precipice and it's what's going to happen. Just get it done. And that's, that's, that's Boris Johnson's theme is like, just get it done. It's time to get it done. So I think that's, that's one element of it in, in some way. I think the other one that thing that it shows is that there's a populism on both sides here. This is like two populist parties because, you know, Boris Johnson and Michael Gove were the two people, former education secretary, the two people that really pushed Brexit and pushed it hard. And people thought, you know, Johnson, for a lot of his previous statements, was being disingenuous about it. He was just thinking this was a, a good um, a, a election issue and a good political issue. And the guy became prime minister. So that's apparently right. Um, but I think that there's a very weird way of putting this. And I, I could make, a, I think, probably a sound argument in this, which is a brief one, is that I, I think in Europe, right wing populism wins. I mean, you see in like the Swedish election, an uptick in, in this thing called Venstapartiet, which is like the communist party, like used to former communist party. And they had a, they went up to like 7%, but it's still 7%, right? And the far right gets 22% or 19% or 17%. And at the end of the day, the populism that has been winning in Europe and primarily because of things like immigration, you know, we just had a terror attack and this guy was actually native born, but that's tied to immigration because, you know, he was a Muslim and that's how people tie it in the UK. I'm not doing that. But I think that's the right wing populism is a thing that is here to stay. And I don't I mean, what we'll see is the labor correcting themselves. Hopefully we'll see that. And there's a big conversation about this. Will and if and probably Jeremy Corbyn step down and that party will bring itself back to the center, not to Blairism, which was new labor. That's not coming back. Right. Only in uh, Emmanuel Macron's cabinet. Yeah. Precisely. Yeah. yeah. Like there's other places where that and even that's, that's yeah, not that's successful not. at all in France. But that thing of like bringing that back, the readjustment in, in with the Tories, there's like a European group within the Tory party, which is a very, 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 very hardcore Brexit group like that. There's going to be a, a coming together on with the conservatives now and they've won this big, big mandate or it looks like they're going to win this big mandate. Uh, Labor is going to be trying to remake its entire party. Uh, and, and if they don't, they're they're doomed to to a life in the wilderness, because you know what? The the people that take it to the streets and bang their pans and do all this stuff. And I last time I was in London, there was one of these big protests. Um, there's a lot of people on the street and it's crazy to see. Um, but there's a big country and the big country has not a ton of interest in this as we're as we're seeing now. That's a lot. I'm sorry, but that's I'll st- I'll shut up now for 20 minutes.
<laughs> no, you won't. <laughs> I, I'm going to write emails. That's no, fine. I might. That was good. We've, we've actually had demand for a Brexit talk, and I think yeah. we're just giving people what they want. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if it's... But then I'm going to get some British listeners like, you know, Michael, you're totally wrong about this. <laughs> Here's the thing. You don't understand. That constituency, like, I, I don't know. I had... I'm just a guy. <laughs> I had an asshat get mad at me because I wrote about Victor Orban, yeah. like a reason, uh, 10 days ago, or, like, or, or it was in a podcast or something. And uh, it's like, what do you mean by, like, Victor Orban-style politicians? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I didn't say, motherfucker. Like, I lived there uh, and wrote about that in real time. But um, uh, it's people who feel like they have the specialized knowledge and that, therefore, you must obviously do not. Um, anyways. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you just, I love it running out of steam. And, and if you could see Matt's face, it's just it's a despondent. That's right. I know that Camille edits this uh very vivaciously. Don't like take a picture of me. Vivaciously? Yeah. Yeah, you get it. Not for content. Low energy Welsh. Not for content. Yeah. I'm enhancing the product. Look, Welsh is good, like asking questions. Yeah. I'm not cutting the shit with baking soda. It's important to to underscore what I'm doing. Wow, that was a Coke reference. (laughs) 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 To the people out there, baby laxative is off the other one they cut it with. They know what's up. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They know what's up. Um, A lot of other shit going on, too. I usually say this before we get into it. I mean, Matt, it might be useful to give the people some indication of where we'll be going in the conversations over the course of the evening. They know us. You're think. fucking point guard, man. You know what I'm saying? Over here. I'm the, just when you grab the ball from me, I can't run point. Oh, man. I'm trying to be John Stockton. You got it. Carl Malone. You got it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Back up off my shit. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> wow. Uh, <laughs> Stevie Francis. Stevie <laughs> Franchise over here. Fucking that. crossing man. over. Take me back to the Maryland days. Um, so, a lot of things going on. Uh, still impeachment <laughs> shenanigans taking place in the house. <laughs> Matt with his middle fingers extended. Both. Um, we do a video <laughs> a podcast for Impeachment that. stuff also, not, not directly, but at least things related to the Trump-Russia investigation taking place in the Senate with the uh, IG report finally coming down and some interesting hearings there. Um, And I think perhaps more important than both of those stories um, is this rather remarkable piece of reportage that came out of the Washington Post with respect to these Afghanistan papers. A massive new trove of confidential documents obtained by the Washington Post reveals U.S. officials systematically lied to the American public about the Afghan war virtually since the beginning, 18 years ago. The objective, to conceal widespread fears that America was losing. The Post says it has obtained more than 2,000 pages of documents, some part of a lengthy government report called Lessons Learned, and that, quote, several of those interviewed described explicit and sustained efforts by the U.S. government to deliberately mislead the public. They said it was common at military headquarters in Kabul and at the White House to distort statistics to make it appear the United States was winning the war when that was not the case. A lot of the, the people who actually participated in this project were anonymous and the Washington Post is trying to uncover their identities. Is it trying to uncover the identity of a whistleblower? Interesting. A little bit. A little bit. Kind of, sort of. Interesting. Um, but, but what's interesting about this is I, I suspect part of the reason why this has kind of fallen flat is because a lot of what these folks are saying that there was a general rudderlessness um, about our, our efforts in Afghanistan. Three consecutive administrations have essentially misled the American people about the progress that was ostensibly being made there on the ground. Everyone kind of knew all of this already. The fact that 
we are there's been a tremendous amount of misspent blood and treasure in Afghanistan is no great uh, revelation. Yeah. We have the receipts now. I mean, it was uh, it was I think telling that they titled this Washington Post titled this the Afghanistan Papers. They, they, they tried. They were so hoping. Hard. They were hoping to evo- like, evoke some of that paragraph, like paper. four or five. It's yeah, like, we're calling it this for this reason. Yeah, um, and which is not at all to limit. Um, praise for what they did. What they did is great. Mm-hmm. Like it's great journalism. They 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 knew about this. It wasn't, uh, as far as my uh, recollection has it, it wasn't necessarily classified at the beginning. There was an Inspector General report. A lot of the interviews happened in 2015, 2016. I forget exactly when it was produced. Um, they caught wind of it and started uh, uh, asking for it through Freedom of Information Act requests. And then suddenly like, oh, well, we got to classify this shit uh, now. And so they have been engaged for three years of trying to uh, unclassify the sort of uh, post facto classified stuff. And it's great. It's really great. You get right there. Person who was in charge both in the Obama administration and in the, I think the Trump administration, it could have been Bush, but but like definitely bipartisan, saying like we had no idea what we were doing, we have no idea. I mean, mm-hmm. like super blunt and named now because of the Washington Post, yeah, um, named there. But you're right, Camille. I mean, the Pentagon Papers, um, the reason that that was such a, uh, a, a an important event or like a shifting event. Is because it shifted what we thought or what people broadly thought of it. it like, wow, that was a needle scratch. This is not at mm-hmm. all, not mm-hmm. remotely. Not if you paid any attention to what the WikiLeaks, you know, uh, uh, a dump showed us, what, seven years ago now, eight years ago even. Um, people have known this for a long time. People just don't care. They don't care. And it's awful that they don't care. It is, it's, it, it, it's criminal. I think that they don't care. Right. Let me ask you a question. You were asking, I'm going to turn this on you. Is that, is that, um, they don't care. And that's true. It seems to be the case and just kind of disappeared pretty quickly. And I mean, it's so shocking to see that we don't know who the enemy is, not where they are. How do we get to them? We don't know who they are. Uh-huh. And that's terrifying. It's like I mean, Donald Rumsfeld quote, quote from like 2003. We, right? Yeah. We don't know who yeah. they are. And it's like, you know, that was not what they were projecting at the time. But when you say um, the WikiLeaks stuff, you know, it's funny because we all remember the video, uh, which they put that very salacious title on. And the it's collateral, a, collateral, collateral murder, murder which is, a, mm-hmm. which is um, I, I think it's too strong and it's unfortunate mm-hmm. is that the, the for you guys who don't remember it, you probably all do, is that a you know, journalist who's carrying a camera and they think it's an AK and they light this guy up and they light all these people up. And a car is driving away and they light that up and they're very kind of, you know, a bit ju- a little too joyous I, I would be a, a very mild way of putting it. Kind of like the war criminals that Donald Trump just pardoned. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, which is, again, also forgotten about already. Mm-hmm. Um, but what else do we remember from though that initial dump of WikiLeaks stuff? I think there's a lot of stuff that in informs historians who are writing about Zimbabwe and you get all these state department stuff from the election of ZANU PF or whatever it might be. But what do we, what really cracked our public consciousness and changed the way we thought about things beyond that video? Almost nothing. Yeah. I think, I think that it solidified the sense that Afghanistan was meandering, that it's a moving target of, of 
You're talking about the original WikiLeaks, though. Yes. Yeah. 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 Right. So because there was so much um, uh, uh, thrown out there of communications of of how people were assessing what was happening in the battlefield. And it said what we kind of knew. I think we knew by 2005, if not 2003, um, which is like how long we're going to be here and, and what's governing that. We don't. There's no real rationale that immediately comes to mind. Yeah. And so people on the ground were expressing that in various ways, and the communications came from that. No, what people saw, it's, it's similar to the Abu Ghraib uh, photos. They saw photos. They saw video. They saw a, a, a visual image, which always just packs a different punch entirely than anything else. Right? I th- yeah, I think that there's, I mean, as, I mean, this is a crazy thing to say in a way, but, is that, but it's true, is that as war from the perspective of Western powers with very advanced militaries becomes safer and that is true, right? I mean, you see it the is. number of, of Iraqis who died in Iraq. I mean, I mean, the estimates go from 100,000 to a million. I, a million is very, very high, and that mm-hmm. Lancet thing has been debunked a lot. But it's still a ton of people in an, a complete humanitarian disaster and tragedy could, that could have been avoided. But um, despite that, the, the, the number of people who died in those two conflicts was almost – this is horrible to say, and I don't mean this in the way that people think of it. It's too low for people to care. Right. I mean, if 2,300 Americans in Afghanistan, in Afghanistan since the fall of the Taliban. Exactly. And that's a lot. That's 2,300 people. But in a nation of 330 million people, the whole thing of that, you know, I mean, do you remember the Bush administration being criticized for like preventing the uh, caskets from being photographed? Yeah. 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 Because they did understand the impact of that in Vietnam, which was the constant number of, you know, I mean, this is 56,000 people casket after casket, and that had an incredibly strong impact. And also because it was a conscripted army, too. That was a huge, huge, I talked to a guy two days ago in D.C. who um, was in Vietnam, and he was the guy, I'm doing something else in the future, Uh, it was one of the uh, two guys, it was with both of them, uh, who arrested the Watergate burglars. Who took the call and arrested them? Oh wow! Yeah, I hung out with them and, and got drunk with them. It was very fun. Uh, they're <laughs> shocker. They're completely. <laughs> one of them got a little too drunk for for, for mm. his own good, but uh. but um, but one of them uh, was in Vietnam, and we just had this conversation. It was it was strange of that he was talking about it. Like these guys, the Vietnam vets are not the Ron Kovics, right? He's like the most like right wing patriotic guy in the world. And it's like, you know, it was so weird because I always think of like, oh, Vietnam was like, no, he's like, no. And me and all my buddies are still alive. You know, we just we hated Nixon um, because he didn't he didn't finish the war. It's not that I'm like, but you were you cycled out after a tour and you didn't want to come back, obviously. And he's like, yeah, but and it was it's just this very strange thing. To, to talk to them and you know he mentioned something about protesters and how much he hated them and you know it's very it's a really weird thing to to remember when you talk to somebody like, again that's not everybody it's not a, it's just one guy that i talked to but you know in vietnam it being in pentagon papers in particular is something that is i mean you think it's the exact same time that that affects impeachment right because mm-hmm. it's the plumbers who break into daniel ellsberg's uh, psychiatrist's office i believe in la and you know ultimately the same people that break into the watergate hotel and by the way both the cops were uh, watergate conspiracy theorists yeah interesting huh yeah well and one of the, they both kept on pointing out that when they made the arrest and i'm like oh wow that's really interesting the sixth floor was where the dnc was and those doors were taped um, but they also broke into the eighth floor, 
which was where the building, which was the floor of, of the Federal Reserve. Oh, uh, no. Look, oh, and, and, and no. I make no, make no uh, weird Federal Reserve conspiracy, but but this is, they never explain you why. You're, they're you're just asking questions? Well, no, I'm just telling no, you what they told me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they never explained why they broke the Federal Reserve. But they were, they were funny. because Could like, have just been a mistake. Well, they also could have been doing like lookout stuff or whatever. Yeah. To be an ins- an or they were breaking into the I, I'm just throwing this out here. I believe whatever that conspiracy theory is. I don't oh, know what they it is yet, but yeah. I believe it. Well, yeah. they were preemptively. Well, one of them, kind of thing. one of them was I mean, into Silent Coup, the Len Kolodny book. Uh, you know, which is yeah. the which is the John Dean's wife was in the prostitution ring, kind of crazy. And G. Gordon Liddy was sued by John Dean for repeating that himself in his own in his own something he did. But but anyway, but yeah, I think that that's the, the difference now is that when you have a volunteer army, and when you have so much of this done being by, done by drones. Is that um, I saw this thread. This is crazy. I saw this thread and it was a Glenn Greenwald thing. And it was, you know, you know I mean, sometimes you scroll down the Twitter thread and it's just like ordinary schmoes like debating. <laughs> yeah. And somebody was like, well, Trump got us out of the wars. And this other person, a bunch of people chime in and he's like, no, he's still fucking droning brown people. And it was like, that's not true. And it's back and forth. And it's like, nobody even knows. Literally nobody knows if yeah. American drones are flying around. And it is true that this is particularly happening in, in, yeah. in Syria and stuff. And, you know, Trump being very boastful about it in his in his rally in Hershey, Pennsylvania this week, actually. Um, we talked about a guy by the name of Bag, called himself Baghdadi, and like, it's pretty crazy. But that is happening, and pe- we don't even know about it. Yeah. And the reason we don't know about it is because there's not, there's not a, a pilot getting and shot also, down there, you know? As uh, Robert Kaplan has pointed out many times, like the cultures of the media— and the cultures of the military now almost no longer intersect. I disagree with Robert Kaplan about a lot of different things, but that observation is absolutely, I think, true. What's right? the implication there? Implication is that you notice, I mean, there's four of us sitting around a table. Mm-hmm. We know at least one person between all of us. And we probably know like 10 people who volunteer for the Park Slope fucking co-op <laughs> how many of our close friends are active duty military yeah yeah my brother yeah right yeah i say close friends yeah <laughs> fair yeah <laughs> no but like it's it's it, it, the cultures yeah. don't match up and so people write about what they know and what they write what they know is like oh my god gentrification is happening to neighborhoods they know that story real well because they're the gentrifiers um and they always live in neighborhoods like that i'm speaking about myself but mm-hmm. uh but other people as well it's just a different culture and so you it's been a consistent drumbeat among Basically, every single person, military and civilian, who I know who's been part of the government effort, especially in Afghanistan, but also in Iraq now for 10 years. And I don't know any single person who is an exception to this rule that what we're doing doesn't make any fucking sense. It's wasting a lot of money and people are dying, including our people and their people, and that it sucks. And the fact that this is not anybody's priority is horrifying to me. It really mm-hmm. is. It's like genuinely at its base. And Michael is right about the comparative numbers levels. I mean, how many people died in Korea in a year and a half? How many people died in Vietnam? Vietnam was 58,000. Korea in a year and a half, I think it was more, right? Oh, it was more, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, more people, as, as I've said before, have died, 200, 250 world, died 250. in 1968 in Vietnam than have died in all American military adventures since. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Bo- combined. Is, is body count the only thing that can make people care about a conflict like this? Well, I think a length, bit. I think length is people say this is the longest war. It's like, yeah, but it's nobody not, cares. nobody cares. Nobody cares because you it's not dominating forget. the front page. America and there's has not, always been at war with. Yeah. And these things, they leave our consciousness pretty quickly. And I think that, you know, obviously how we consume news today means that we forget that there was a Saudi guy that shot up um, the place where I believe Anthony's brother is i don't know if i'm allowed to say that but but uh uh a military base in florida right is in yeah. florida and like that's totally forgotten about we within the, a day and a half. day and and and, yeah. and and the feds are actually searching for missing saudi um uh, members of the military who they just can't find they just disappeared feels like we shouldn't know where they are and also we know that he that guy made like anti-semitic posts on on facebook on twitter uh, or whatever it was. And he, I mean, was he just like a casual Saudi anti-Semite? Probably a lot of those. Or was that the motivation? We don't know. He's kind of disappeared. Mm-hmm. And the attention span's incredibly short uh, for a lot of things. Um, and, you know, I suspect that that we'll, we'll talk about what happened in Jersey City. And I suspect that'll be out of our consciousness pretty quickly, too. Already so, is. So, almost already is. Was yeah. it ever in the consciousness? I, I, that's yeah. a good question. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, one of the things that really stands out to me, and it's it's something that I think we've been talking about since the election of Donald Trump, the conventional dishonesty of American politicians. Um, and it's the various things that voters are willing to tolerate and that they don't really care about and the various ways that presidents of every party um, for as long as I can remember and most certainly before that have found it convenient to be dishonest in ways that like have consequence, even if it's, it, it sort of seems like a, a bit of a white lie, like the Obama administration trying to find the best gloss to put on the progress that they were making or to try to find a number that they could use to, to sort of indicate progress that was being made. Perhaps if we start to count like the number of casualties or something like that, like that would be the enemy casualties anyways. And if perhaps if we get a little creative about the way that we're counting those casualties, like that would be a useful indication of progress being made here. And rather than getting there and discovering that, huh, the previous administration has been less than honest about the progress that we've been make that we've been making here. We kind of need to cut this out. They kind of stick with the campaign pledge and say Afghanistan is the right war for us to be involved in right now. We're going to surge. We're going to surge hard and we're going to make it work. And then we're going to find creative ways to spin the numbers to make it look like it's working. And I'm not focusing on Barack Obama because I have a particular disdain for him. I'm focusing on Barack Obama because I think he generally gets sort of a pass as the good guy who came after the bad administration, who found a way to lie us into conflicts and who created this mess to begin with. And I suspect that some people will see a headline about the Afghanistan papers and think to themselves um, that, you know, well, Bush's war. Hell, yeah, it's a it's a mistake. It was terrible and not really get sort of the broad culpability that is shared, not merely by the presidents, but by <laughs> all of official Washington. This was the members of war. both parties yeah. who, who didn't speak out and say this is an absurd waste of our time and resources. And worse than that, it is making matters worse. It is completely destabilizing the region and fucking things up. And we should stop it now. And even now there is not this demand for us to stop it now. I would disagree with one thing. I think that, that it is 
adding to the destabilization and we're involved in the destabilization, I don't sure. think it would be stable without us. I think it's a yeah. destabilized this, this region. This might anyway. be true. Yeah. But the, in, in what, one, what is stable? Yeah, of course. Yeah. And yeah. it's has it ever been stable? Um, and I want to, you know, want to kind of correct myself on one thing. I don't mean to suggest, and this is a, a, a myth, and it's a widely held myth, and I kind of just caught myself falling into my, to, uh, when I was talking about Vietnam, is this idea that people are opposed to the war and now nobody cares. People actually weren't really opposed to the Vietnam War. Um, in the sense that if you look at mm-hmm. uh, opinion polls, people supported the Vietnam War long after you think that they didn't support the Vietnam War. Sure. And we all know about, um, you know, people trying to levitate the Pentagon, which is a Norm Mailer book. And, you know, people marching on. Great on, book. It's a great it's a great book. It's a it's a it's Army's incredible. The night. Army's it's the night. It's really, really good. And um, there's a you know, this idea you think of these people, all the movies that have been made about it, um, of these people, you know, on the mall and, you know, with NLF flags. Um, nobody remembers the hard hat protest in Manhattan, which was a pro Vietnam War pro- protest that clogged the streets. I think it was orchestrated by unions. Yeah, yeah. They're actually referred to as riots. Sometimes. Yeah, the riots. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, and, you know, there was a very, very find, and there's a lot to, to, to back this up. And there's nothing that shows you that the media narrative was, has been controlled by the people who kind of wrote the history at the time and in the media themselves. And that was largely a class of people that were opposed to the war, but that's not, that was not reflective of, of the nation as a whole in a lot of places. So when I say like, Oh, you know, nobody cares like Vietnam, it's like people cared in Vietnam for, for sure. Um, and certainly a lot more because you were more likely to know somebody who died, but it's also true that Americans were not necessarily Opposed to this, and and it, rather than finding all the 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 polls that say over fifty percent of Americans support the war in Vietnam in nineteen fifty and nineteen seventy, um, all you have to do is look at the nineteen seventy two election in which Nixon wins forty nine states. Yeah, and that's that's after twenty three percentage points. Yeah, and that's after the Watergate burglars had been caught. It hadn't unraveled. It hadn't unraveled. But it'd been you know mm. these are guys that 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 are clearly close to the administration of Republicans, and they're breaking into the Democratic uh, National Committee. That happened. Vietnam happened. Uh, Tet had happened, which was an uh, enormous loss for the North Vietnamese, but played as a loss for America on television. Um, and, you know, it's 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 amazing that people people were still sticking with Nixon as the real peace candidate who wanted to draw down the Vietnam War, but which to, he was actually doing by the by the time he was. But to argue on. against your own corrective a little bit, it's, you know, Vietnam was felt by people on a granular level level in a way that that Afghanistan just is not. Oh, no, it's what I said. Just as far, far, far as numbers, you're yeah. more likely to know somebody. And no, no, I, I think it's absolutely true. And it's not to in any way uh, suggest that that wasn't a huge groundswell of no. ordinary people, too, not just like hippies. and. But that actually SDS brings people. us to, I think, an interesting point, which is that Afghanistan has been pear shaped in public opinion for a decade. Oh, yeah. Like. Nobody likes this war. Mm-hmm. Nobody likes it. None of the people fighting it like it. They hate it the most. Um, the literally the generals, as part of the Afghanistan papers, are like, "What? No. What? What? What are we doing? There's no. Yeah. no there is no rationale for it. Yeah. We actually have a president now, on one sense, thankfully, um, who said upon obtaining the office like what are we doing in afghanistan we shouldn't be there Mm -hmm. which he's right as far as i'm concerned good people might disagree um yet um we haven't 
withdrawn anybody yeah. from Afghanistan. We're like we're deploying fourteen or like planning to deploy fourteen thousand more troops in the broader uh, Middle East. Uh, it's amazing to me, and I thought about this five years ago or so, at, at sort of when it was clear that the drug war, the war on marijuana, at least, was going to end, and yet you have all these structures <laughs> in place. Like that's actually a pretty interesting like management discussion, right? Like when nobody actually believes in this shit, nobody does. Raise your hand if you believe in the fucking Afghanistan war. Raise your fucking hand. Max Boot doesn't fucking believe in the Afghanistan war. Max Boot doesn't believe in anything. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. But like seriously, who is the person who believes in the Afghanistan war or even occupation? Who is that person? Well, you know, I, I don't know the answer to that question, but what might be interesting is, as I said about people who were in Vietnam and the betrayal that a lot of those guys felt. And there's there's like kind of groups of them that that, you know, talk about books by guys like Lewis Sorley, who, you know, was a guy that said, you know, we were winning and we voluntarily lost. There's a lot of books like that. Mm-hmm. And is they're very popular amongst a certain class of, of uh, Vietnam veterans. And I don't know. McCain believed that to his death. Exactly. There's a, like, there well, are a lot, there are a lot yeah, of, close to his death. a lot of those uh, uh, things. And a lot of those people, there's a huge uh, a body of literature in this. Mark Moyer, uh, a guy who wrote um, uh, a book on this, and he's, I think he's doing a second part of this book. And there tend to be considered like conservative uh, books on, on Vietnam, but I don't really know that that's true. There, there's, there's, uh, Certainly, a number of of uh, soldiers that 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 served in Vietnam who feel betrayed by both protesters, and that's well known. It's often overstated, but it's well known, and betrayed by the way the Nixon administration uh, pulled out. Essentially, nineteen seventy two and nineteen seventy four. It's everybody's gone, and getting in seventy four, seventy five, that everybody's gone. And any of your advisor, anyone left, they're just gone. And that is uh, a sore point, particularly for people like they want to know what we were fighting for. And there's an instinct in some people to say that by backing out, we were fighting for nothing. If we had stayed and actually prosecuted this war in a different way, then my friends died for something. And I understand that. I understand that. There's one thing that I think is kind of instructive. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie Restrepo. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, from yeah. 2010. So, Tim Hetherington, who's a who was a war photographer, who was actually killed, killed a yeah. couple years later, and Sebastian Younger, a famous uh, journalist, made this documentary that came out in 2010. Uh, and the name Restrepo uh, is taken from a, a, a slain soldier, and it's the name of a forward operating base in Afghanistan. And it's literally just about this one platoon holding this piece of land in Afghanistan. The whole thing is about you know we got to hold this this land. And the coda of the film is that once they, after they stopped filming, they lost that piece of land. This is 2010. The war is still going on in 2019. Uh, There's the the analog for that in Vietnam is uh, Hill, I can't remember, Hamburger Hill. Hamburger Hill, yeah. And that is um, very well done in Ken Burns' documentary. And I should get him on Mm -hmm. um, because I filmed with him once um, last year, uh, this year actually, and he was great and lovely guy, super smart guy, and he's got a new thing about country music. I mean, we can ask him about that. <laughs> in Vietnam, that, that was one of his best docs. It is phenomenal. And they do, there's another one I think that A&E did called Viet, Viet, Vietnam in HD or something, some silly name, but it was quite good. And there's a, a great kind of meditation um, with this guy, Carl Moranis or something, who's written about Vietnam and has uh, served. And there's a really just harrowing stuff of people that held that hill and held that hill and lost a lot of people, lost a ton of people there. 
And then they uh, fucked off and just said, all right, we're getting out of here. And then the, the North Vietnamese took the hill. I mean, it's just complete. Not, it's completely worthless. It really is in the museum of um, aphorisms. It's probably the wrong word. Aphorisms? Aphorism. Whatever. <laughs> what happened to you? Like I was born this way. It's wow. fine. It's fine. Um, no, when you know you have a you have like a bit of concrete sticking out of the side of your head. <laughs> How did that get there? <laughs> no, when John Kerry dramatically said in Congress, when was that Moynihan? Like seventy three, seventy four. The Winter Soldier stuff. The Winter yeah. Soldier. <laughs> yeah. Good movie. Better better movie than it was uh, John Kerry. Thing. But like when he said, "Who will be the last person to die for this mistake?" Which is a great, great question. Line. It's a great line. Absolutely classic. And it never goes out of fashion in terms of applicability right now. Like, who will be the last person to just die for the Hamburger Hill mistake, right? So many people don't want to admit the obvious. That's where we're at. Mm -hmm. And, like, it's it's distressing to me. And I don't say this as, like, a special, like, oh, you know, screw Donald Trump thing. Actually, it's, it's a, a real disappointment. Like, of all people... Just to like go across script against script and say, screw it. All the generals, they can go to hell. We're getting out. I don't care what happens. He seems like a candidate who might make such a rash decision. And yet he hasn't either. Um, it's it's super distressing. We should we should have a way to understand sunk costs, particularly when there are people dying like it's 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 crazy to me that you that you could sit there and see the coffins coming in and not come to a conclusion of like fuck maybe we shouldn't do this anymore and just just uh i i pulled this up and i you know i'm just doing this as we're talking so i mean there's probably more comprehensive stuff but the roper center at cornell and this is why you listen to this podcast people because we give you weird numbers like this uh 1971 poll uh and it was a poll about vietnam and the responses are immediate withdrawal right the options withdrawal by the end of 71, pretty soft withdrawal by the end of 71. Uh, take as long as necessary to turn war over to the South Vietnamese. Keep troops there into complete military victory. And then, of course, no opinion. Those withdraw later. Take as long as you need. Keep it until uh, complete victory is about 60 odd percent. Fuck. If you combine those immediate withdrawal is 27 percent. That's 1971. Mm. So it gives you a sense of the, the, the kind of popular imagination of Vietnam and the because the narrative, of course, in films and, you know, born on the 4th of July is like all this stuff about about the protest movement, uh, you know, even even like, you know, Forrest Gump is like protester kind of Ron Kovic type and that. And it's like, yeah, that's the people that in a in a almost mistaken way we're on the right side of history i don't think flying the north vietnamese flag which was often done was on the right side of history but but they're on the, but they, they obviously not a majority in 1971 according to this poll and i'm sure there's others but there's the roper center at cornell has um a database and a bunch of data sets uh for u.s national polls that are totally fascinating so anyway well i wonder if we should turn our attention to this ig report um and the senate hearings from earlier this week um i, I think folks have been anticipating this report for some time um once it finally came out there was a lot of uh, almost sort of celebratory response i think from a lot of different corners of the media there was a pretty pronounced emphasis on the fact that there was in some ways a repudiation 
of the president. Uh, and in some ways, I mean, like profoundly a repudiation of the conspiracy theory that he's been spinning for some time, that the investigation into members of his administration was, or in members of his campaign at the time, um, was explicitly politically motivated and started for those reasons. It, that appears to not be the case. And I'm not certain that there was ever any evidence that there was, that was the case. Um, but the general notion that this is you know, a vindication of the intelligence community and that this ought to make anyone feel very good about how these processes work um, is just an astonishingly just stupid conclusion to reach. Do you think um, that's been reached widely? I don't know how widely it's been yeah. reached, but certainly I think kind of the smug, like, oh, this is a mistake that that happened on some level. But all in all, you know, the investigation seemed to be handled, you know, pretty well. You know, they're, they're at least we know that there is integrity here. They're actually pretty profound questions about this invest about this investigation and broadly speaking about like the, the FISA court, which is, I think, at the center of the 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 investigation in terms of the questions that we have here from my own vantage point, the things that I'm most interested in are with the respect to the FISA application that, that went in and the deficiencies there It appears that FBI staffers were making requests on the basis of sort of selective intelligence that they were falsifying um, emails, falsifying. Uh, correspondence, it's which kind of a big yeah, deal. It was pretty a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the report contained something like 17, um, different errors that were uh, mentioned that were pretty significant. Um, what's important is that all of the errors are in the same direction. Um, that is making certain that you get the investigation and making this bastard look as guilty as possible to continue to 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 get you access to this particular person um, and never acknowledging to the FISA court that there is exculpatory evidence that seems to be coming forward here. We've gone and we've talked to people who were interviewed with respect to the Steele dossier, and it appears that this is less than trustworthy. Um, and we have every reason to believe this person that we're talking to, but we're never going to mention it to the FISA court, um, which suggests that for a case that everyone knew was likely to get a tremendous amount of scrutiny because it involves the intelligence community looking into a major party candidate for president of the United States. They managed to make these massive errors um, in a pretty systematic way, it seems. Um, For there to be so many errors here, it makes one wonder what the rest of the applications for this enormously secretive court just generally look like. Well, thank God we're going to see at least some internal investigation of that. It's not enough. Uh, but part of the um, IG Horowitz's investigation said we're going to now do a spot check of how we do this. Um, this is – I went back and looked like at uh, what we were writing about this at Reason uh, back in 2003 and four and five. And the state of play then was really interesting because, you know, if you – and I hope you don't out there in listener world um, like actually turn on the impeachment hearings – which are horrific. You will see, uh, you know, Matt Getz or however you pronounce his name or Jim Jordan um, uh, just rail against this, this or that. Uh, the Republicans of 2005, almost without exception, were not just saying that the FISA court is fine. They were saying mm-hmm. the FISA court is too much of an impediment to what we need to do. Mm-hmm. 
to bring the terrorists to heel. Because don't you know, Camille Foster, although back then you're kind of like, oh, whatever, pro-war guy, maybe he's turned by then. But like, don't you know we are at war? That was where the the discourse was at back then. I can't watch. And keep in mind that that was at a time when, just like today, the FISA court, and if you look at the percentages, it was just a rubber stamp court. Every, 99. 99%. Always. Everything got through. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you're saying, we need this. You can't. It's like, you already got it. I but mean, the, everything was getting through. And it's amazing now when you look at, at this particular case, uh-huh. when you're looking at like, okay, what do we have to do to get this through the FISA court? It's like, wait, but they... It's like Mikey likes everything. But the the explanation that was given at the time, and I've heard it, it's been given to me directly when I've been on television and we've been having conversations about this, is the, the, the actual applications that find their way to the FISA court, well, they've already been vetted. Like the FBI sure. are very careful said, yeah. about this. They know exactly what they're doing. In fact, when the Nunez memo came out, and I'm sure we, we all remember the Nunez memo. Thank you for um, which indicated to my pronunciation. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's been a lot of really bad pronunciation. I'm just like sitting here drinking. By yeah, I, I was drinking for about an hour before anyone came. Um, this bourbon by myself. <laughs> you um, drank for an hour? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm nursing my one cup for an hour, but it's still Keeps nursing. It's important for me anyways. Um, but when that memo came out, I won't even try to pronounce it again. Um, it's the, just Nunez. It's not that hard. <laughs> so no, like, but it should be fucking Nunez. No, but it's not, Nunez. He's, not, he's not from like Guatemala. No, he's, he's just from the a, Central Valley of California. Yeah, it is fat, fucking Nunez. That's as Mexican head. as it fucking gets. It's, ama- it's amazing that you're Nunez. getting all excited about I'm very mad, strange no, things. I'm mad. I'm mad at you. Very weird. I'm <laughs> mad at you. You yeah, don't well, have Mexicans in fucking Guadalupe, Massachusetts. But when that memo came out, part of the response to him was it's not possible. Possible that the Steele dossier could have been sort of the centerpiece of this application, and it's not possible that people could have uh, omitted certain pieces of evidence from the application because there would have been hell to pay. I Democrats and Republicans would have gone after them. Members of the Intelligence Committee would have gone after them. It, I know I made that argument on the show it's that it's possible. more that it's more than that it was more than the steel. I heard it. I heard it multiple times. People were saying it. And and I couldn't is, believe it. Not and this to be is true. the thing about the the Nunez Nunez memo. Keep it and the Schiff memo. Yeah. I think looking it's, at it's, them it's, now it's from the vantage point of <laughs> Swedish of the IG report, like who actually comes out looking better now? I, I mean, it's this the is a column. this is a battle for the basement. I mean, it's pretty much. Yeah, yeah. but still. Yeah, well, the fifth column can say that I think I said it's got to be based on more than the, just the Steele dossier because that's what people were saying and there's no way, blah, 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 and I was wrong. At least for the FISA application. Yeah, for the FISA application. That's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. But the no, original but the investigation, investigation it was based on more than other, that. Yeah. How surprised, I'm not sure I said that, but I'm fairly sure that I did. But how yeah. surprised are you? By the by, the IG report, by the severity of it in terms of the defects with the investigation. And one one other thing, I think this question about political bias is interesting. Political, they say they didn't didn't find any documentary evidence of political yeah, yeah. bias with that? respect to the investigation beginning. But he also made what I thought was a pretty profound admission that with respect to the errors that were made, they just don't have a great explanation for why these errors were made. And they don't have a great explanation for why these errors were made in the same direction. (laughs) And for me, as someone who has said about the impeachment proceedings here and the investigation, the the examination of the evidence of impeachment, look, I've got to make some assumptions here about what was going on. And for me, it's pretty easy to assume that the president 
was in fact withholding <clears throat> the meeting and withholding the aid because he kind of wanted to get something out of this uh, out of this exchange. For sure. and, and in a very similar way for me with respect to the people who were involved in the, investig- in the investigation, when there are so many mistakes and they all go in this one direction, sure. the fact that people were particularly motivated to find, not necessarily manufacture, but to find sure. dirt on the president if there was any dirt to be found like they were into it and they were willing to bend the rules to do it it's not hard for me to make that to make that particular leap and at I least think that's to probably say that right that but, sounds but plausible i think that's i think that's probably right but there's also the institutional thing where it's just kind of fun right and you want <laughs> when you when you start off in an investigation particularly one of this type of importance, you want to get into it. You want to investigate this stuff because it's like, who? It's kind of like a spy novel. What is going on with these guys? And if the evidence is not bringing you towards, you know, something at a FISA court, the rubber stamp FISA court would approve of, maybe you juice it a little bit, and we'll just see what we find. And it, it could both. I think it's probably just a dispositional dislike of this sure. guy. I mean, and also, you know, so it's it's not something anyone's going to agree with, but like, I blame him. In a lot of ways, for coming in by attacking everybody in every part of the intelligence community and saying they're all liars and frauds and idiots, right? And I, that includes the FBI. The FBI. This has become much much worse since then. And like you know, it, you kind of got to expect some sort of repercussions. But I'm is, sorry, but I know that that's a bad thing it, to say, but, but it's it, true. But is it? But is it just me, or uh, because for me, it's hard to hear the same people who are so gung ho for the Trump impeachment not be willing to acknowledge the fact that well. Yeah, if I'm going to sort of follow yeah. inference here, sure. It's it's not hard to presume that some of that it's a bias good, yeah. it's that a was good expressed. Point. It's a good point. Following push them in that direction is yeah. is like fundamental to where you get to motivated reasoning. There was a, a, a really good brief, mercifully, um, Twitter thread by Ross Douthat, the uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is like amazing. I can't do it. I can't do it's it. It's like literally. I just can't like do it. Something wrong with you guys. You just get someone who just does pronunciations here. Yeah, pronunciations. Just, I said pronunciations. It's amazing. He's right. My yeah. family is yeah. from it the is Caribbean. Pronunciations. Yeah. that's yeah. what we say. Your family's Caribbean, but where are you from, Camille? Exactly. <laughs> I don't even know what that exactly means. Is it Caribbean or Washington, Caribbean? Washington, yeah, yeah. DC. Seriously? Caribbean. Seriously? Caribbean. The white splitting never ends yeah. on the fifth yeah. column. What you should just change the name say, of the podcast. What I mean to say yes. is that there's a difference between bias and motivated reasoning. There's uh-huh. a difference between bias and confirmation bias, right? Yeah. And it's an important one, and we shouldn't just, like, get rid of it. I saw a lot of people, like, reacting to Horowitz's report, Inspector General's report, Saying, like, it disproved everything Donald Trump said that's crazy. Yes, it did. Mm -hmm. Donald Trump every day says really, really crazy shit all the time. And when people look into it, they find out that it's not true. This is true. And it's important. Like, it's important that the actual president of the United States says crazy shit every fucking day. Mm-hmm. And that when he sends people out to look at it, they find that it's not true. So, like, okay, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. But it's also another thing that, as you pointed out, there are a number of moments in this process in the same report in which they say that, like, you know, people, like, if it was a 50-50 ball, you know, like, maybe it's going that way. You know, maybe <laughs> maybe yeah, the, the, you know, the president guy or the guy who's running for president, it's going to be – we're not sure about it, right? 
that is also important. It's different than bias. Like, like Trump made a big deal out of um, the, you know, the, the lovers in the FBI, like having this big anti-conspiracy thing, the witch hunt. Yeah. Um, but actually, I think it's a more potent argument about the problematic culture within the FBI that's problematic regardless of party, which is a culture towards structural, like, ah, I think they might be doing something wrong and we can fix it, right? And that speaks so much louder, I think, than because it's it's like Lindsey Graham, for God's sake, Lindsey Graham mm-hmm. um, came out yesterday and said, you know, I've been a strong supporter all these years of, you know, going after the bad guys. But now if, if I see more things like this, I'm going to look for Pfizer reform. Like, bullshit. God. Yeah. Bullshit. I mean, you know what? Maybe he will. Nope. I doubt it. He won't. I'm not going to bet on that. But this is – Matt just had a stroke. <laughs> right on, right on camera. He's peeing. He's peeing himself right now. Oh my God, do you have a mop bucket or something? Wow, I like that. He was trying to think of a pronunciation of a word. Is it Lindsay? Pro, pronun- Lindsay, it's pronun- really hard. Pronunciation. Lindsay? It's, it's pronunciation. <laughs> Lindsay? No, but like if, if there I'm is not a... I'm going to let you make me feel bad. <laughs> Nobody no. feels bad except me. Um, no, but if there is a, an, a, an actual bias in the system towards not having anybody pay attention to what you do. Mm-hmm. Because if we think about it, the FISA court forever, up until 2003, after two, 2003, always had 99% rubber stamp you know, uh, approval of anything that came up in front of them, anything, right? So what happens in a situation in which there is no effective accountability? Whose mores are going to be enforced there? We Uh think stupidly that it's, oh, it's about politics. It's about, do you like Trump? Do you not like Trump? You know what? If you had to like, you know, guess of the FBI median uh, point of view about Donald Trump, in November or October of 2016, I'm guessing it's going to be more pro-Trump than anti-Trump, right? Law enforcement, right? Law enforcement goes Republican. That's how it goes, right? Generally speaking, I could be wrong about that, but this is a a gut guess. Mm -hmm. The bias is towards, I don't have any, or I don't respect anybody telling me who I cannot investigate. That is the bias. Yeah. And if you have 99%, That's the number. Yeah. Right. At the FISA court level. And they don't have to actually produce their opinion, their reasoning, the judges of why they said yes, why they said no. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you think they're going to do? So those people are going to be people who are super sloppy about their work. Yeah. And so part of the weird reaction to the IG report was like, oh, well, you know, maybe we should talk about these processes. But the most important thing is that. Donald Trump, uh, you know, was wrong about the crazy thing that he said. Yes, that's that's important, but it's not the most important. The most important is they have power over all of us in this room, around everywhere, and they've never had until this moment anyone pay attention to it publicly. Never, right, never, right. never. Like it's not been public any reasoning at all public mm-hmm. about this. Mm-hmm. That's an important 
position for a court that basically exists to say you don't need a search warrant, right? And so I wish that Lindsey Graham, I hope that he's going to be with us for the long haul. I, <laughs> my, my, my suspicion is that he's not. No, probably not. <laughs> probably not. But like the lesson is important and it's going to be uh, played out if we don't fix this in every single future administration and more importantly on every single person who is not an important public figure – is going to be on the receiving end of motivated reasoning by law enforcement that doesn't have any regularized sense of the public looking into what they're fucking doing. Right. There's, there's, likely, there's likely no possibility that there will be a congressional hearing um, about your, an investigation into you and your personal matters if you find yourself in a circumstance where you're being investigated and folks are kind of cutting corners in order to, to get at you. Um, it's probably just not going to happen. I want to, I want to push one, one additional thing. Uh, and this is a bit of devil's advocate here. There was a, a point in the, um, hearing where Lindsey Graham was sort of pushing back, um, to suggest that, uh, <clears throat> to suggest that there was in fact an argument to be made here that the president was being spied upon that some of his more, um, bombastic claims might be substantiated to the extent that you're pressing this investigation of page and you have not properly um, gone about providing this additional evidence that would have been exculpatory to the FISA court to the extent you're going back for that second and that third renewal of this authorization to investigate him, then you don't really have proper authorization to do this investigation. And at that point, for the president to say this is an illegal investigation is not technically wrong. And if there's supposed to be these defensive briefings that ought to happen for the Trump campaign in a similar way to the, that there was a defensive briefing for the Clinton administration, for the Clinton campaign, when there was this email hacking that was going on, hey, Russia's doing bad things and you ought to be aware of it, wasn't really happening for the Trump administration, despite the fact that several people who were in the orbit of the campaign were under investigation actively. Um, it, it does sort of strike one as that's a little strange. Is, is that persuasive to anyone else in the room? Like the, the fact that there might be something that could defensively be called spying that was occurring with respect to the Trump campaign. I think one hand's been sending tweets to Ray. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> said it. <laughs> Don't um, say his name. Uh, it's like Beetlejuice. Uh, <laughs> he's um, never going to go. Oh, we hope he does. Yeah. Well, does. Uh, no. I mean, there's no. There's no. I mean, that's ridiculous. It's, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous in every possible way. Wasn't, okay. Wasn't listening. Yeah. Wasn't. No. <laughs> there's no spying going on. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, the other stuff, I was definitely, I was tuning out about. So when you, so when you're conducting a quasi legal, maybe we should just say technically legal, but in fact, illegal investigation into someone Mm -hmm. and you've got like CIs that you're running and you're Mm -hmm. sitting in on meetings Mm -hmm. with investigators who are not outing themselves in investigators as investigators. We don't call that spying. It's not fair. No, it's not spying. I mean, it's what I mean, first of all, the stuff that gives the report, obviously the IG report that gives us this information um, about, the FISA stuff in Carter Page is also, you know, the, the same report that's poo-pooing any idea that, that spying is happening. 
in any way. I mean, look, the, the, the fact that they're not informing the campaign, the campaign is quite upset about it. But if the campaign itself is running kind of interference on behalf of the Russians or actively from the top. I mean, remember, there's so the interesting thing about this is it reveals that Paul Manafort was being investigated before he joined the Trump campaign, which is pretty mm-hmm. impressive. I mean, we didn't know that until this. But, but came they do out. say that the president was not under investigation. He was not. Yeah. So well, there it wasn't pre- this belief that. Well, the, no, the I mean, the president's not under co-opted. investigation because, like, I mean, the man that's running his campaign is in jail. Yeah. Right. So keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. That's something like that doesn't happen often. Yeah. The man who runs. I mean, imagine. I mean, we're still talking about Hillary Clinton's fucking emails. And like they still have a show, I think, on Fox called Hillary Clinton's emails. Maybe, <laughs> it might be on Fox Nation or something. And it's like, you know, from some. It's got the conservative squad. Yeah. Yeah. Some blonde girl that went to Tulane. is like, you know, uh, yeah, no offense to Tulane, by the way. Um, I don't know why I said that. Uh, hey, also, shout out to blonde chicks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love them. Yeah. Great. Love them. <laughs> Best. No, uh, no. But like if you imagine. Imagine for one second that happening uh, to you know, someone who's running Obama's campaign. Uh-huh. The Fox News would have like literally broke off a separate channel yeah. and created a new a new channel. Um, yeah, that's that's uh, no, yeah. I, it's 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 absurd, and it's of course it, it, the narrative of this. I mean, watching you said that you watched Camille mm-hmm. uh, Trump's um, rally. And we talked about this. Oh, I watched no. a bit yeah, of it. You're going to out me. Well, no, no. Well, I'm going to out myself. because I liked it. Liked it. Maga. No, well, I'm going to out myself, too, because I watched it um, today. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's it's funny. Like, the guy is clearly insane. I mean, it's so funny <laughs> to watch him unfiltered for an hour and 25 minutes. Right? Yeah. And it's insane. And But as we were talking about, there's, like, like legitimately funny stuff in it. Mm-hmm. There's, like, funny bits in it. Mm-hmm. Like, the whole, the whole struck page and struck thing yeah is so dangerous but at the same time funny when he's, uh, do, he's doing the voices he's like oh i love you i'm mean, i miss you and I'm like this is actually, the president of the united states yeah. but, talking about his own employees yeah yeah and, and 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 yeah i know and then there's the craziest thing is he's like oh i heard he got a restraining order i heard that he's like, i can't prove it i can't prove it i don't know <laughs> it's true. Yeah, but the fake news will never tell you so it's an incredible <laughs> twist that he does on it so the spying thing is part of he's talking about spying all the time yeah it's an amazing amazing sleight of hand it's this sort of intellectual like an intellectual a sort of verbal <laughs> verbal three-card money where he's like i don't know if that's true i just hedged but they're not going to tell you because yeah. they're fake news it's like they're not telling you i just told you they're not telling you but i didn't really tell you that i'm not and it's this incredible thing that he does and everyone's booing and booing and booing and then i just realized how how reckless this man is watching this uh-huh. two things about it was that like yeah he's pretty funny like this just doing it he's doing the bits you know he's doing shtick but how reckless and i and i saw it in the most microscopic of ways there was a protester somewhere 20 minutes into it a woman and they remove her but it's apparently not fast enough for donald trump who then rounds on the security guard and says you know this guy you know, this, like, they're usually good, these securities, but not this guy. He's too politically correct. Because he's, he's just a, I mean, what does that even mean? <laughs> he's like, he doesn't take, it's so PC to not take processes that fast enough. I mean, what are you talking about? And he's like, it's not political. He's on repeating this. And then these, these ogres that are just going, oh, oh, like cheering. It's like, and there's a guy removing somebody and has 20,000 people braying like hyenas at him. 
and the president is doing it. This is the yeah. first I'm hearing about. This. It's not even a news anymore. It's yeah. crazy. And I'm not, if anything, I'm understating it. He's going after the security guard. And this is, <laughs> I mean, I, if, if the guy had any sense, yeah. he would remove the person take his badge off, whatever they wear, take the security and just get out of there. Because do you want 25,000 Trump fans or 15,000 streaming by you when the president had just said you are politically correct? I mean, the media gets the booing at the beginning as usual. And, you know, this is as oafish as it always is. And boo, everyone's booing. And I've been on the other side of that booing a bunch of times. And Did you feel unsafe? No, I'm in a pen. It's fine. <laughs> There's like security there because they're so politically correct. They're probably not going to help me. But yeah, but you know, it's it's like they're booing at you, booing at you. And like if you're Jim Acosta, yeah, watch out because they know what you look like. But the rest of it, those people, they have no no idea. But the security guard, I was like, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. This is the president of the United States doing this. Absolutely, absolutely absurd and 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 just really dangerous. And so Paige. Um, the page instruct thing. She tweets that this isn't true, uh, that there was a restraining order, um, which he, he clearly just made up. There's no evidence of this anywhere. Nobody. Yeah, he had the little hedge. I, I've just heard about this. I've heard about. It. I don't I'm know if it's true. President. I don't know if it's President. I'll have well, good I mean, information. He, he, you could do a supercut of President Trump over the past um, three years saying people told me. People are telling me. So what I'm hearing, yeah. and it's, it's, you know, we did the special episode for Patreon. We talked about the Chomskyite versions of this, of like how he, he launders these kind of phrases and stuff. And his is just the, I mean, Chomsky's a linguist at MIT. He's smarter than Trump. But, you know, I mean, he, like Trump, Man. I mean, well, I mean, you can be yeah. smart and wrong about everything. But, you know, he, the, the way he says this stuff is so gross. It's gross. I'm sorry. It just is. And then. And then I see, you know, on the other side of this, overstating things is uh, Chris Wallace. Mm, Fox yeah. News is Chris Wallace. Yeah. Says that well, Donald Trump is the most dangerous president or journalist or something. Vis-a-vis the press in, what's, in, what's that? in, in, in history. And I, and, and, you history. know, in American history, I think yeah, he said. Yeah, I think, I think so. That's a bit of a stretch, I think. It's I'd a bit of a stretch. So. But, you know, it's for everybody, by the way. The, the security guard get leaving. I'm terrified for him. And then I'll give you another example that, yeah, I'll say it. Who cares? Um, I got off the train from DC yesterday and a friend of mine who's on the crew said, I just saw Tucker Carlson on the train. And I was like, Oh, I know Tucker. <laughs> and everyone's like, huh? Like, you know, like walking away. And then as I'm walking out, I see Tucker come up and Tucker is surrounded by police officers. And I didn't notice this. My producer did. I grabbed Tucker. I didn't see the cop. I didn't see his cops. I don't even look. I grabbed Tucker because I've known Tucker for years, right? And he looks at me and the cop is like, no, like to, to my producer. I didn't even see this. And he was like, they like fucking swarmed. They're like, get away. You know, like, blah, blah, get, get away. And Tucker looks and he like looks at me for a second. Then he's like, oh my God, hey, I was just talking about you with a mutual friend of ours. Yeah. And then the cops were like, okay. And they backed off. But there were four, four cops. Uh, getting out of the train station to go to, to uh, presumably the Fox building. Four. And that doesn't make sense to me. That makes sense to me. I met somebody last night at, uh, was at a little drinks thing. Uh, a great woman. I never met her. She's a fantastic person. Uh, we had a great conversation. She told me she confronted Gary Cohn on the street in Madison Avenue. Hmm. And she a lefty woman. She's very, very smart, very funny. She's like, I went up to him and just was like, you know what? 
And and he was, and then she was like, she's like, oh, I lost my nerve. I just kind of got, I was so like nervous and I was like angry. And I was like, how do you, how do you live with yourself? And she said he walked across the street with like Chanel bags or whatever. And, and, and he was like quite well. And I was like, you knew you were going to get that. But, but it is the thing, like, you know, from the security guard on is that it, these days, you know, I mean, t- Tucker is not good. Look, if there was a guy um, who was like a lefty type in Alabama and was couldn't walk around because he had certain opinions on certain things um, because uh, conservatives were going to beat him up everywhere he went or there were threats all the time. I think people would take notice of that. Um, I know people don't feel bad for let's, Tucker. Let's and cross-examine I, you. Just I, I, also, I also could not disagree with Tucker more on almost everything these days. Um this was the Acela or the Northeast Regional? Are you fucking kidding? I would, <laughs> you think I'd take the Northeast Regional? I've never I mean, are not you, taken the Northeast Regional. Are you serious? What what is wrong? What is wrong with me? What are you, I Bulgarian? Respect, I mean, like, <laughs> I respect my employer. Yeah. What? Why? They, they don't, don't respect you. Get you. Where you're going on time? <laughs> not true. Are you serious? I am blown away that you take the Northeast Regional. Do you ever take the Vermonter? Is that occasionally? That's you taking the Vermonter? Yeah. You? Oh my god! I never see Tucker Carlson on the Vermonter. Yeah, you I did see. I remember one time and Lou I'm, Rockwell. I'm talking, <laughs> I'm talking out of school, but like, I remember I one I time lining up for the uh, the Acela. Uh, for some reason, I had to take it. I, I didn't want to. Um, Acela, for the listeners, it's this stupid. It is so stupid. Like, literally, the train between Penn Station in New York and Union Station in Washington, D.C. Uh-huh. takes two hours and 46 minutes, more or less. And the slow train takes three hours and 25 minutes. If you pay attention, that's not a lot of difference. Yeah. Uh, yeah. By the way, different train, too. Big seats. Everything's everything's <laughs> business class. Doesn't like, smell like sadness from yeah, the 1970s. Yeah, exactly. The, the regional trains. Exactly. The regional trains are frequently late as well. Late, and they yeah. will often push the regional train off the track so that the Acela. The Acela that I took, and by the way, this is fascinating for our listeners. The Acela that I took was so packed because. This is a 10 o'clock a cell in the morning because like the 915, like, you know, the regionals get those like loser times, like oh 918. <laughs> it, it was so delayed that they started putting people on the Acela. Uh, and that maybe, oh no. and that might be a time, this Matt. Is like children of men. Yeah. Well, that might be a, that might be a time, Matt, where you get to ride the Acela <laughs> and we'll have you on. It's fine. We'll keep you in a different car. Very different car. Fucking delousing car. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is like, oh my God. it is like, we, we don't, check my eyes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, exactly. He's got jaundice. Put him in the back. No, it is. Inc- it is like really. It is like we don't mix with you people. Yeah. It's a very high class of person. That's Although on the I, train that I took. I did ride a regional not too long ago. Oh my god! I was in business class in the regional. Come yeah, on, yeah, yeah. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. You know who else was in that car? Ken Burns, who was mentioned earlier. Really, yeah. man of the people. He only works for PBS. He's only worked for PBS. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Balling out of control. Balling out of control. <laughs> but you know what? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like, dude, if you're on the, we'll, we'll get him on the show and ask him about this. If you're on the, on the train uh, and you're like a man of the people, but you're on the regional and you're in the business class, dude, that's like a, that's he's a, got a Northeast regional haircut. Though. He does for sure. <laughs> it's not in a cell yeah, haircut. He gets off at Cranston. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a Cranston haircut. Pose Do they even have a style of maybe Bridgeport? Um, I can I, so two things. Um, it's a bit the, of coastal elite talk right there. The wow. wildest, I believe the president, I believe that president Trump is engaged 
engaged in the most direct, sustained assault on freedom of the press in our history. Probably. Yeah. Um, I don't know. No, also, that can't be true. That page, that's be not true. true. The page struck thing. Um, it's yeah. often been reported that, that the president was uh, simulating an orgasm. I never heard it that way. Yeah. When he goes, oh, Lisa. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, not, it's, not, it's, yeah. it's the heavy petting like, yeah, yeah, from yeah. those like 19. 19- 20s, 1930s stop movies, for a right? Stop for a second. Isn't that what he's doing? No, but stop for a second. What? You're fact-checking oh, fact yeah. the description I just think it's funny. Yeah. of the president. Yeah. Um, Wait, you're angry about it. Because yeah. I think it's funny. simulating. I think you texted me about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never pretty sure you did. I never did. But can I, can I um, <laughs> offer some, a point maybe, in my Maybe defense? the hyperbole isn't the, isn't the root problem is, is, is my... Well, it is true. Oh, no. We did talk no, about this, I, that I, on the, in the, uh, the thing he did in Pennsylvania, every dumb joke he makes is actually, he says this all the time. He's like, wow, the media is going to do that. And he's actually right about this yeah, yeah. in the fact that like he says these dumb things and they report them. What was the one that I pointed out that was the main story on CNN? I sent it to, to the group. He's always saying, like, I'm going to run for 12 terms. Yeah, and, yeah, and they're like, yeah, 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 stuff like that. Trump like, says 12, he's running for 12, 12 years, terms. 20 he won't, years. He won't leave office. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like that. He's like, oh, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I'm just kidding. And he's like, I mean, and he is obviously joking. It's like, there's so much to attack him for in all of those things. And they don't. Um, oh, he. this is the headline. This is the main headline on CNN. So it's actually, I think, an important thing. Main headline. Trump, colon, abusing power, quote, not even a crime. Oh, yeah. He didn't say that. <laughs> he didn't say that. He was making a joke. And so I pointed out also NPR said, like, they play a clip and he's like, this is impeachment light. Because he's joking there's only two articles of impeachment. They're expecting 48 of them. And he's like, it's, it's just, I don't get anything. It's impeachment light. And everyone's like, hey, cringing. And on NPR, they were like, they, I think this was it. Is on Morning Dish or something. They're like, there's no such thing as impeachment light. <laughs> it's a joke. You guys are ruining your credibility. This guy is shooting himself in the foot every second. He says something is false every two seconds. Yeah. And you're harping on this. And then the one that says abusing power is not even a crime. That's not what he said. I think the quote was like, it was in the impeachment light thing. And he was like, it's not even crimes here. It's yeah. impeachment light. And he's like, uh, and then they say that he said abusing power because they're saying that he abused power right that's how they think is not a crime it's like that's not fair and you don't need to not be fair with this guy why are you doing it like why is it's what i said about biden it's like to trump why are you trying to get dirt on biden biden is the dirt he's his own dirt he just walks and talks and like you don't need fucking ukrainians to do this for you like cnn you don't need to go after trump in like a slightly disingenuous way because he's like he's not saying abusing abusive power is not a crime he's not saying that no, but he's an idiot, but he's not saying that. There is a feeling in the press, and it was uh, uh, exhibited by Margaret Sullivan, the Washington Post media critic, or I don't know what she is. How you uh, everyone, lo- everyone loves her. Everyone um, loves her. Widely <laughs> loved by certain people. Um, She's like the Ta-Nehisi Coates of media critics. Writing um, <laughs> about a week ago saying that, um, look, you know, the media should shape its coverage of impeachment to persuade on the fence, like uh, 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 readers and listeners out there, I think she. I think she actually used the word journalists. Yeah. I think she used the words journalists and like persuadables mm-hmm. as like the, the, these are connected, right? In some way, the responsibility of journalists is to advocate for the particular values that she cares about, mm. and <laughs> which is interesting. Seems reasonable, you know, like. 
I might agree with her about some things, mm. but like the value of journalists and like your approach, especially if you're at the Washington Post where she works or other places, like do you wake up in the morning thinking, how am I going to persuade in a political matter um, people who are on the readers who are on the fence about an issue? My God, what a corrupting enterprise that is. Really? Like fundamentally, you're out there in the position of like trying to ascertain or like create frameworks for ascertaining truth. You're not out there like trying to, I wish you to get to this conclusion, right? I would hope that was the concept that I, I heard about growing up. Um, it's amazing to me. And so many people have done precisely this to Moynihan's point of like the definition of this enterprise that we are doing is to get to this goal. It's just not, I mean, it's just not to me shrinkingly uh, that attitude is no longer, I think the approach of a lot of news organizations. And we're just starting the impeachment process now for, Crying out loud! I mean, it's horrible. Did any of you try to watch it the last couple it's, days? It's, it's, it's awful. It's so much more difficult it's, to watch yeah. than the uh, previous hearings. It, no, no, like yeah. it's the it's, it's order of magnitude. Yeah, horrible. And, I, and I would say this to, to your point, like this, and, and sometimes that the stuff that they point out is, of course, true. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a long-term damage when every time I turn on CNN. The Chiron is the most opinionated thing on the television. Yeah. It's like Donald Trump says this, which is absolutely flagrantly not true every time. And it's like, just tell me what he said. And then you guys are full of opinion mongers. It just feels like it's an extra force of it now because of, I mean, this is absolutely new to Trump. And I do also agree with the counter argument that there is a new level of dishonesty, which is absolutely true. I mean, I've never seen somebody lie with the frequency and the ease that Donald Trump does. He doesn't even pretend like the struck thing, like, oh, there's a restraining. He just made that up as he was going. Nobody planted that in his head. Nobody said this. He just thought of that while he was going and decided to say it. Most people don't do that. Not the politicians. I don't do that. I don't do that to my friends. I don't do that to people at work. It's yeah. just gross. Yeah. And he does that. Like people typically lie by, you know, you know, alighting details or excluding details. And that's just a part of politics. It's, you know, you can't say it's not okay. It just is the way things happen. But the, the counterpoint to that, which is constantly doing this and I see it so much and it's so annoying. You know, the formulation you always see it on NPR, you always see it in CNN, like the uh, times does it more now. It's like, you know, we're going to call a lie a lie because there's no false equivalence here. It's like, yeah, yeah but you can do that. Both sidesism, both sidesism, but like, Nobody's saying that, by the way. It's just the presentation. And the presentation is the thing that if you believe that we're becoming too polarized, it doesn't just because you're on the right side of things in the sense that the, the stuff that you're saying is true. You can also, you know, deflate the polarization yourself by making the argument within the piece, right? By laying out the facts in the piece and not having these pe people who are Trump supporters who voted for him. And like I talked to these people, I'm not one of them. I don't know too many of them where I live, of course. And that's, you know, a point against me but i try to talk to them as much as possible and they believe this stuff and they howl at cnn in these things not just because donald trump says it it's also because they see that cnn has become this thing that is to is out to get the president is it are they justified in the things that they say a lot of the times they are that headline i just read they weren't but it just feels to them 
the same way liberals made movies, Robert Greenwald and these people uh, about Fox News it was so egregious in this, you know, media landscape that that was never the tone. And Fox created this tone that was just like smash mouth, like breaking people's jaws and being like, you know, liberals that are this, that and the other. And like, how many chirons can you make fun of from Fox? Thousands. I've seen a million of them. But that was always a, a case apart. I just never thought that they would join them. And it doesn't matter if it's true or not. I think it's the instinct. And the instinct to me should be to point out that this guy is saying things that aren't true, but don't do an end zone dance in the headline because it further makes people like not want to read it because they're like, oh, these guys have it in for him. And I haven't gotten to the body of the piece. And like, I get that instinct. I get that instinct to do both of those things because he is full of shit. He's lying all the time. But I, it's like what Mary McCarthy sell, said about Lillian Hellman. Every word she says is a lie, including and and the. And when you see Donald Trump on, you know, in Hershey, Pennsylvania, I am, you know, cutting through this thicket of nonsense to try to get to something that actually is true. And once in a while, there's a nugget in there. And mostly it's an instinct or a feeling of like, these guys are dickheads or, you know, the Iranians are bad guys. Well, yeah, they are bad guys. And then Kim Jong-un's my best friend. We get a great relationship. Wait, what? <laughs> and it's just this whiplash constantly. But trying to cover that, I get that you have to get a new language for it in a way. But I just, you know, and people can disagree with this. And I totally understand that. But I think it's just a better thing if you get it in the piece. Because it's also better to lure people in that might not be your natural constituency. I'm always thinking like, what's the top of the show? What's the first thing we show on screen? Because we want to get people in that might norm normally not watch this, right? And if you're trying to get Trump people in there, they've abandoned that. Totally abandon it. And it's kind of annoying. This is the point where everyone just sits there quietly. No. Every no. episode. <laughs> it's because it's good. It's because you um, pronounced everything correctly. Yeah, I know. Exactly. It's like, yeah. 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 I mean, God, you pretentious yeah. bastard. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's pretentious. Pretentious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. This is true. Uh, oh, my God. This is happened? true. I'm going to show happened? you. Oh, you know no. the CNN alerts that pop up? Oh, no. Right when you said that. This year's trickiest words to say just popped up from CNN. <laughs> They're listening to me. What What's the they? trickiest word? Everything that comes out of your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit tracky. Oh, God. No, Speaking seriously. of difficult to pronounce. Um, Read them. Greta Thunberg. Thunberg. Not Thunberg. Thunberg. As NPR no, would say. It's, Greta it's, Thunberg. Everyone's trying to get Greta. Greta. Yeah. It's, if you want to do the fake pronunciations, yeah. Thunberg. It's like 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 a like a something you need to bury. Toonberry. Like 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 Ingmar Bergman. It's Berryman. Because it's the G is soft. So she is she is Times Toddler of the Year. Sorry. Power the power of youth, Times Person of the Year. She's a full person. Yes. She is person. She's young. She's young. But she's a full person. Yes. And there's a series of rules about talking about a young person. They can scream in your face and you're not allowed to say anything back because you're a mean person if you do. Well, unless they're wearing a MAGA hat. If they're wearing a MAGA hat, you could beat a drum inches from their face. It's totally fine. And if he does anything, anything at all, even smile at you in response, he's a fucking monster. What was it? Punch him in the face. Reza Aslan. Reza Aslan. What did he say again? He said something about the kid. Make sure he never has a job again in his life or something. There were a lot. I mean, there was somebody, I think Reza might have said the punching thing. We need to check that. But yeah, there were a lot of things. And, and, you know, we, we touched on the Jersey City thing, but that was another black Israelite connection as well. The, oh, yeah. the Covington. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. Because, oh, that's right. That's because right. Because the black the Israelites guys. were the actual yeah. instigators of the incident. <laughs> yeah. They were taunting the MAGA kids and the 
fraudulent Native American guy who said he was a Vietnam veteran, even who wasn't. Well, I think he was a Native American guy, but he was a fraudulent Vietnam vet. Correct. Correct. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cause yeah. you uh, just want to make sure that we got him for the yeah. right crime. You nailed it. <laughs> yeah. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, back to Greta. <laughs> Um, so Greta, yeah, Times Person of the Year. Um, the best is- thing we should stop paying attention to this. You know why? Yeah, because I didn't even know Time was still a magazine, <laughs> and they get on our radar for First this. By Mark Benny. What's the yeah. last Time Salesforce dot com like? piece that you remember no idea that wasn't uh, Whitt- person Whitaker Chambers person <laughs> <laughs> I, will say, I will say Molly Ball who used to be at the Atlantic is a political reporter who she's writes for Time and she's, she's, she's a Time she, now I didn't so, know that yeah, yeah. she's very good yeah. she's very smart yeah. good well, I renew your subscription to Time so she should do the renew. show as well no don't no <laughs> renew your subscription to the yeah. fifth column yeah. at yeah. patreon.org yeah. and well, then we'll I, tell you the real scoop about like an Oasis record that Matt likes or something I don't know how many uh uh, if if you guys They're have sort of deeper perspectives on this, um, I know when we were shooting this around Moynihan, you um, flagged uh, an opinion piece that she co-authored. I think there were actually oh, three, yeah, authors there were three authors yeah. on the opinion yeah. piece. Yeah. And it's it's interesting because the piece itself is rather revealing. The piece is not narrowly about the climate crisis to yeah. the extent they're talking about the climate crisis they as AOC has with the Green New Deal, <laughs> goes into a range of broader policy objectives. Um, and the quote that, that was there said, after all, the climate crisis is not just about the environment. It is a crisis of human rights, of justice, and of political will. Colonial, racist, and patriarchal systems of oppression have created and fueled it. We need to dismantle them all. Our political leaders can no longer shirk their responsibilities. I can't, I can't read that with amazing. the sort of anger and sort of frothy mouthness that I suspect is appropriate. It's incredible. Like, it's so funny that, that, that I know because we're not allowed to say anything about her. She's like, she's 16. This is what happens. Uh, Jeffrey, by the way, Jeffrey Tubin today on CNN mm-hmm. defended President Trump. And said that everyone was like, I can't believe he tweeted about her. And he's like, and it's just this like, typical fucking idiot tweet. And Jeffrey Tubin was like, look, she's a, made herself a public figure. And like, it's not like she's in the debate. And yeah. And like, I don't like his tweets and I think they're bad. But in the whole panel, because, you know, in CNN, there's like a panel of 48 people. It like literally mm-hmm. looks like the bench in like a basketball game. It's like, Including everyone's like, yeah. David Gergen. Yeah. Oh, really yeah. still alive. Is he? Yeah, yeah. Tippy the turtle. Look at that. Yeah, I used to draw him in the back of a matchbook and they'd get me into art college. I think that's the title of uh, one of Charles right. Charles Cook's yeah, posts right. from back in September um, was uh, Greta Thunberg can't, cannot be both shield and sword, which I think is a great sort of phrase. Which is also it's what they totally call it. They refer to the, the, the KGB, the shield and the sword of the revolution. Uh, yeah, it's funny because she was talking about destroying you know, capitalism or whatever, <laughs> which is, uh, which is obviously the problem. But, but, you know, it's, it's also like, I don't, I don't take seriously the opinions of a child. If you're going to talk about her as a child, that's what we're doing. She's, she's a child. Mm. Do not attack her. Okay. Well, I will also say she's putting opinions out there and they're being widely disseminated and retweeted. I do not take the opinions of a, the political opinions of a child seriously. And one has to have, some kind of historical knowledge of this stuff. And she is signing things about patriarchal institutions and how uh, climate change was created because of racism or whatever, imperialism. It is, there is even even the most coherent version of that argument, which is probably some... A little dash of Edward Said, a little, a little dash of you know, um, you know, some postmodernism, maybe the rest of it. 
even that, I am like, this is crazy, but Mm -hmm. they at least are fluid in it and can have a debate with you. It just doesn't make any sense. I don't know if I sat down with her instead of like people who are like odd and like, you know, lift her up in their shoulders and paint murals of her on the side of buildings in in San San Francisco. Francisco. Yeah, exactly. If you sat her down, like I would feel bad. And that's true. Like, I get the instinct of, like, don't argue with a 16-year-old. My thing is just feel bad when she's yelling at you. Well, if she was sitting here. Screaming at you about destroying her dreams. Yes. Trying to shame you. Yeah. As as Dave Chappelle said in the special, you may not have had any dreams. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But the thing is, is that if she sat down here and I asked her about, you know, colonialism and this capitalism and its relationship to environmental degradation and the rest of it. I, I wonder because, if she actually wrote that part. Well, but the thing is, 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 is her parents, whoever she's signing, her parents are going to sign it. People are tweeting it like people blue check. They're tweeting it. This they're not identifying her. They're saying she wrote this piece and everything. I would feel terrible asking her a question about that because I know she wouldn't be able to answer it. Mm-hmm. And I would not feel comfortable beating up on her. So I don't feel comfortable beating up on her when people say don't beat up on a 16 year old. Of course. I, I agree with that in the sense of like she does she is not politically formed in the way and, and is she effective as a environmental campaigner obviously um, mm-hmm. but I do question the the logic of of using her in the way that she's been used I mean the climate strike stuff that she was doing I get it and she has said about um, the kind of psychological effect it's funny the only other person I know uh, and I think I've mentioned this before. I know someone in Sweden who um, the uh, global warming stuff and, and, and climate change stuff has, has incapacitated them mm. um, psychologically. Uh, and there is a word in Swedish, uh, a diagnosis of people who are incapacitated by, by, by uh, climate change in by, particular. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Huh. And it's like, uh, that's a thing. And a friend of uh, mine, um, I, won't, I don't think she listens to this podcast, but uh, she's lovely. And mm-hmm. I think there's probably some other things that go on there too, but... Uh, has this and uh, refuses to come and visit yeah. uh, because of plane travel and is very worried about it all the, all the time. Yeah. And it's this millenarian thing that's, that's kind of transposed and it is a very real crisis, a very real problem. And, but there's a point at which you're the kind of on one end, the Bjorn Lombards who say you're miss it's, it's real and, 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 and it's overstated or uh-huh. people who say it's real, but we can do something about it. Um, or people say that we're doomed and you, you guys all did it to us. Right. Okay. Boomer, you did it <laughs> to us. <laughs> well, I think it's the hysterical apocalypticism of the AOC and, and the Greta crowd, quite honestly, that I find like very difficult to stomach. It is profoundly unserious. Like people who I, I know who study the climate and who are very concerned about these issues and who talk about them in very grave and serious ways, like are similarly critical of ridiculous hysterical projections that suggest that the entire world will come to an end in 10 to 15 years, unless something is done right now, that there are far more sober and serious analysis analyses coming from thoughtful people, folks who are willing to talk about some of the trade-offs that are involved in embracing a policy that's calling for a slower growth in parts of the world that happen to not be as wealthy as the United States. It, it matters that recent carbon emission reports suggest that in the, in the United States and in various other places, like our carbon emissions have actually been going mm-hmm. down. They're going up in places like China. If, if the most overwrought versions of the sort of climate crisis uh, clarion call are to be believed, then what is the prescription? 
Like, do you, do in the, you go in, after China sure. and India? Yeah. Do you, do you essentially pay you don't, any you don't price make, You don't to make Paris voluntary. Them. You don't make it voluntary, right? I mean, if it's that serious, if it is, if it is an existential threat to the planet, you, why are we having people do this voluntarily in, in the, the Paris Accords? And, you know, you can back out if you want. You can meet them if you want. You just make promises and, and you know, whatever. You can meet them or you're not, right? If it is that serious, that would be a very, I would think, a very stupid way of doing it. I mean, it, it, if in 10 years we're all doomed. I mean, I don't believe that because in the reason I don't believe that is not because I'm a scientist. It's because I, I, uh, about three months ago was at MIT and did a thing about this climate modeling and we shot a little piece, but, and I talked to the professor and he was an amazingly bright guy and he was like, it's, it's very, very bad and very, very serious. But the reason we do this climate modeling, we bring people in and you can, you know, move these levers and say, we'll do this and we'll do that. And you negotiate with people. It's like a big, it's kind of like a model UN thing, but for, for, for climate change. And, um, his, he was, I, alarmist is wrong because that would suggest that he was being hysterical, but his alarm that he was raising was very serious. And he was saying, we can actually do something about this. It's tough. And here's why my problem with the, with the Greta stuff is of course to say like, she can talk, but you can't about it because of her age. I just think it's just an, it's, it's zip tying people's hands and saying, how dare you? And then actually saying like, what is your obsession old man with a little girl? It's like, what is your obsession with putting her on TV all the time? I'm not putting her on TV. Like, relax. I'm not like, I'm just responding. And the thing is, is that I have been around for a while. I've read a lot about this stuff. I've read a lot of books, but I don't consider myself even close to being an expert. I mean, even the most basic stuff I don't like talking about because I'm, I'm not a scientist. I'm not an expert. So why when um, a 16 year old is saying that this is, that there, there can be no such thing as unlimited growth. It's like, I'm going to call like Jagdesh Bhagwati or something of like a, like an economist and be like, well, Hey, let's say when she's doing that, everyone's like applauding. It's like, you're applying emotion and applauding her for having extreme, very pungent, very sharp opinions and emotions, but you can't applaud her because she's in proximity to your own views or to the science, because there's no way a 16 year old is understands the piece that she wrote, the piece that she signed on to. Mm-hmm. Cause those are some concepts that, that, political scientists are still grappling with and, you know, changing their minds about all the time. So, yeah, I mean, to say that she's, you can't criticize her. I just think is, 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 I mean, and when Jeffrey Tubin said you can, the response from, uh, what's her name? Um, used to be married to John King, CNN woman. Um, what was her name? Uh, the blonde one. She's a, the one of the political correspondents. Dana but, Bash? Uh, yeah, Dana Bash. Uh, she was like, you know, she, she also has spoken eloquently about her autism. And it's like, they keep, uh, this was literally in the clip. And she was like, well, she also has autism. It's like, okay, so that means you can't criticize her? Or you can't trust her? What, what are you trying to say here? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, she's obviously an incredibly bright girl. Yeah. Incredibly bright. Uh, keeping in mind. Fierce. Uh, uh, charismatic. Ca- I mean, keeping in mind that this is not her native language. Mm-hmm. And she speaks so fluidly in it and so eloquently that I am deeply impressed by her. She's also apparently very experienced with boats. Yeah, well, yeah, now she, now she is. She's a truant. It, like, look, yeah, she's like, yeah, get in school. Kamala's like, going to put her in jail. <laughs> this I, is what I heard. I, I th- I'm impressed by her, but it doesn't, I think it's crazy to say that you can't criticize her. It's yeah. fucking crazy. Um, so I think we could completely bypass the rest of the impeachment stuff. We for know good. that it's out oh, there. Sure. There's going to be a vote. Yeah. Apparently it's like next week. Maybe they'll delay it further um, because they're afraid of we all know it's possible. Anyone, but we anyone know in favor um, of what? 
Would you vote for impeachment? Again, you're asking, you're polling the room again? We did again? this already, yeah. Yeah, yeah, let's do it again. Oh, I'd, I'd probably still vote, yeah. I haven't changed my perspective yeah, on it. Yeah, I would, yeah, 100%. I've changed. No. Have you? Really? You're no now. Wow. I'm no. We get, let's get Justin Amash on to show <laughs> yeah. you, teach no. you about the Constitution, yeah. Matt. No. That, what changed for you? Jacob Solem. Huh. Like, I, I'm unfamiliar. What is the what is the argument? He's a writer for reasons. I know. He's really he's good. Very good yes. <laughs> but I don't Super know what good. he wrote about this. Uh, no, he had a piece yesterday uh, uh, as we tape on uh, Thursday, um, basically just saying that this is a uh, – he believes <laughs> – No, sorry. Shin, that's totally – That's separate. Sorry. Fine. No, but this, I want to but show you my screen. But also deserved. That's the problem. Yeah. I, I, obviously, Shin Fein was going to hold Belfast West, but I don't like it when it happens. <laughs> Go ahead, Matt. Fucking shinners. <laughs> all totally deserved, as we all know. But no, just that my argument for it, it mm-hmm. was it has always been super narrow, which is that, like, maybe the House should forward uh, impeachment and the Senate should vote no, but the process would be good because we should have a process, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, that process is part of the constitutional separation. It's a reassertion of constitutional separation of powers. All right. Good. Um, Jacob points out that by circumventing, by short-circuiting the process of how the House should act as the grand jury, right? House is like gathering information, throwing it at the Senate. The Senate is where the trial will take place. Right. The House could have said, hey, John Bolton, you absolutely must testify. Testify. Come here. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. And the reaction from the administration and perhaps John Bolton would be like, screw you. Okay, goes to the courts. Mm-hmm. The reason they didn't do that mm-hmm. is that they wanted to get through this quick. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's politically inconvenient for them. Which I get. And I also get like from a, a consumer of politics, like I want this to be over. My God, all of you guys watched even – Five seconds of this today, mm. you wanted to like throttle yourself and then like your immediate family. It was terrible, right? It's, it was really like it's very Matt, dark. Matt Gates or Gates or, or, or fuck, uh. whatever his name is, um, is like the president did nothing wrong. Like, <laughs> dude, whatever happened, the president absolutely did something wrong. Like, he wakes up. And does something wrong. <laughs> yeah. His fart yeah. is wrong. His yeah. tweets are wrong. Whatever he did with Ukraine, wrong. Russia, right. wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. He every day. But like the, that's the Republican level of like defense is that no, the president. So it's terrible. It's all or nothing. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. However, if you are going, going to take this as an exercise that's important and serious for the constitutional separation of powers and investigation, whatever, then like subpoena the bastards, subpoena John Bolton. The house managers right now are saying like, takes too much time. And the thing is like, if this is a serious moment, this is Jacob's argument. And it was persuasive to me, obviously, if this is as serious as you make it, um, then we'll just take the time. However time it takes. Mm. Like, Let's like get the judges. There might be some expedited this or that, whatever. But like we have to do this right, right? They're not doing that. They're like, we have to do this quick. Listening to the managers in the press conference, Adam Schiff, Nancy Pelosi, but particularly Schiff and, and also Jared Nadler, it's a prophylactic impeachment. 
It really is. It really is. Mm. Look into your heart. Like it's, he's going to do it again. Mm. We have to do this right now because he is already asking people to get involved in the 2020 election. And for a lot of Democrats and even non-Democrats, that's, that, that's persuasive. He's a bad guy. I agree with that. Who is like rattling the tin cup. I agree with that. Um, to do bad things. I agree with all of that. He's certainly doing that. But impeachment is not a prophylactic exercise. It's not a condom that you put over the cock of power. It's not. It's not. That's what prophylactic means, Anthony. God damn it. That long last. They make, they make, Will you admit it? They make lady condoms, too. First of all, you didn't, clearly didn't take your medication today. Second of all, why are you yelling at Anthony? It's about time. Yeah, That was literally <laughs> like some Al Sharpton shit there. The penis of power. The penis That is amazing. Wow. Oh, we, got a, we got a title yeah. for the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. That's our spinoff. It's like, it's like <laughs> Joni Loves Chachi. Our spinoff is the penis, <laughs> the penis of new, power with Matt Welch. song for that one. Yeah. But it's not. Luther Vandross. It's not a mechanism to, uh, to prevent the president <laughs> from meddling in the future. Well, hey, and that's Welch. how they sold it. Well, hey, I know you're trying to Matt call Welch. it. Uh, Maybe it should be. Yeah. Maybe it should be. He I, got I the penis of power. <laughs> <laughs> Michael maybe, McDonald. Maybe someone needs <laughs> to rain Back in. Back with the doobies. Penis of power. By the way, I want to say that just to just to put a real put a real button on Matt's rant. I got into an Uber in the uh, in DC, and there was a driver who had a phone, a big phone, one of the big screens, yeah. watching Luther Vandross videos. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, in yeah. the car. Well, and I was like, oh, yeah. I was wasted too. I was like Luther, and he was like, You like Luther? And I was like, Yeah. We just like guy who's. We started off with the one uh, with Mariah Carey. Uh, when they were doing the uh, duet, they did a duet of. Uh, that was Little Luther. That was after he lost the weight. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. He lost well, the weight. What song did they sing together? They did a um, uh, famous one. Uh, is it My Endless Love? No, no. it was a, um, it was a famous duet. But it was, it was, it was it's got cover. the word together in it. Yeah, yeah, uh, but it was great. It was together. great. And I was like sitting in the back seat. And I'm like, this guy literally drove up and he had this phone propped up. In the no, it was endless love. Sorry, it was endless. Yeah, it was. It was fucking crazy driving around just watching Luther. And I was like, I didn't care. And yeah. the reason I didn't care is because I was wasted. Right. <laughs> but it was super dangerous. Yeah, it's super And I dangerous. get off and I'm like, five stars. And I'm like, that should be one star. <laughs> you're, getting one, you're getting one star for that. It's very dangerous. It's very dangerous. Yeah. Luther, too, because yeah. you get excited. He's so distracted because he so has all this sequin suit. Oh, my God. Sequin yeah. suit. Got a big pant on. Yeah. A big leg pant on. And when he was, was big, that's a lot of sequins. Oh, no, but he was skinny. This is oh, it's skinny. a skinny yeah. Luther. Yeah, right. good. You said that. Yeah. good. I just thought I'd really just put Poor a, Luther. Put a point on R. Matt's R. thing yeah. with uh, Luther Vandross was totally unrelated but I just I just felt like saying it yeah yeah I don't know because I just was doing the Michael McDonald I don't know yeah. what happened know. where you're, are we you're doing all the singing well, I'm gonna yeah. disapp- <laughs> I'm gonna disappoint everyone I, I'm thinking no please it, please don't please but I'm don't. not going to I love you get one email it's, from it's it that one email it's thousands no it's not of thousands of emails is it outpouring of support you know and I want to thank everybody for that it's like yeah, you know I mean, what you know who's fucking yes, bored right I now considering Russian bots what are they doing <laughs> sending you emails about your singing <laughs> one dude named fucking Igor oh in St. Petersburg um, but I uh, Matt I I understand your perspective I, I think it's very interesting it will involve the penis and prophylactics yeah. yes um, which is a normal Thursday night for you uh, which I mean it's fine it's nothing unusual about that yeah, it's the thing people yeah. do. Yeah, um, but uh, anything else? I think uh, I think go? you're wrong. It's pretty. It's this is like Rashomon. About this is like what? a long one, isn't it? Exactly. 
Hold wait, on, wait, hold on. Longer, <laughs> I think about prophylactic impeachment? Yeah. Oh, God. Do you know what's more boring than impeachment? Suddenly, you guys talking suddenly, about it right now. <laughs> suddenly, well, hold on. Suddenly, Camille, like I'm, I'm the ghost of Ron Paul Foster, <laughs> is the guy who's pro impeachment, and fucking Matt Cosmetarian Welch I'm, I'm is pro- anti impeachment. Because for reasons, wow. for reasons related to precisely where we started this conversation with uh, not the 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 Brexit conversation, the 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 UK vote, but with respect to Afghanistan and the fact that all of them lie, they lie constantly, and they're never held to account. I want people to use this particular tool, the impeachment, more regularly mm-hmm. for a broader spectrum of stuff. Mm-hmm. I want them to prosecute their case in public, do everything they can to denigrate their political opponent for stepping on norms occasionally, but also for just super egregious shit that we mm-hmm. ought to be talking about a lot more intensely and examining and scrutinizing a lot more intensely than we generally do. And I think if that was our tendency, it would be for our good. Would people still ignore things? Yes. Yes, they would. Would they, would they perhaps get a little bored by the process? Maybe so. Would it politicize a lot of things? Sure. I think it would be great if the Afghanistan war was fucking politicized as opposed to ignored. Therefore, I want more fucking impeachments for a wider range of things all of the time. Nonstop impeachment. Impeachment, the board game, all the time for all of the things because these things matter and too many people are ignoring them and all of these bastards are getting away from it. I want the prophylactic on the penis mm. because the penis is up to no good. Wow. Damn. Damn, that's disgusting. Sorry, man. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> you know it, too. Yeah, right? yeah. The look on your face, he knows it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. High five. Yeah, you got a high, high five. five. Close it. The government has <laughs> HPV. <laughs> Roll it on. Prevent it. And flip it. Uh, bye. 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 We, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse.